And we are live, everybody. Welcome to night one of the post-wrestling WrestleMania 36 post-show. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting, and here we are, coming at you live, right after WrestleMania. We're more live than the main event of WrestleMania was tonight. Uh, I'll say so. I hope you don't kick me into a grave. What if I just showed up right behind you (laughs) right now? As Metallica blared way, and I asked you, how old am I, way? How old am I now? Man, I- Five days older than you? And then I threw you through that window right there with those blinds next to you. At how this point, that? at this point, I believe in anything. Can I just say, who else was not prepared expecting Kane to show up in that thing? Um... I didn't even consider that, but sure, why not? He certainly. I, not I thought 100 percent the the guy that thinks that uh, stay at home measures are a little draconian and uh, kind of uh, doesn't exactly agree with them going off to do the WrestleMania shoot while this crisis is on. I was totally expecting Glenn Jacobs to show up uh, to combat Gallows and Anderson <laughs> in this whole thing. Well, there's always next year. Yes, and I think after tonight, I don't ever want to see the Undertaker in a normal wrestling match ever again. But he can get a match like this. He can add five years. I think that's how we all feel uh, coming out out of this. I mean, who who wants to see a normal match with the Undertaker ever again? Entrance be damned. I think that that this is the Undertaker character now, doing like mini movies. If the comparison is between something like this, as ridiculous as it was. Or what we got out of him in Saudi Arabia, or what we got out out of him at WrestleMania in, in years past. I would gladly take this version of The Undertaker. We're going to get into all of that, but uh, I want to welcome everybody that is tuning in live tonight because we are going live for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. So you are hearing this show first, and we're going to be opening up the phone lines later on to take your phone calls, Skype calls as well. So we will be doing uh, tons of feedback and going as long as everyone here wants to discuss this show, which clocked in at a very reasonable Four hours if you include the kickoff. A much easier, digestible WrestleMania, even though it's technically only 50% of the show. Sure, certainly. But even even like cutting it in half, I'm really grateful for because I'm, I'm full of energy and what a way to go off. So, uh, like, otherwise we would be at the halfway mark right about now. Do you realize that? If, if this had been, I, I think the only difference would have been would be the two kickoff matches that wouldn't be added. I think we would have had 16 matches in one night. Would have you, been, you would have had the kickoff matches, I feel, with the under. You would have had Royal. kickoff matches, but I don't think you would have had the, the two, like 18 altogether that we got tonight. I right. think they would have cut it at 16, but who knows? Maybe who, they would have gone. We would have, we would have had the battle royals in there as well. Under normal circumstances. Before we proceed, I wanted to mention one more time that at store.postwrestling.com right now, we have our WrestleMania weekend. I wasn't there t-shirt that we started selling for our uh, Grande Hangout. And we're going to keep up there available for sale until Monday, just for the rest of this weekend. As all proceeds will be benefiting both the Sunnybrook Foundation as well as the New York Community Trust. So uh, that is up there at store.postwrestling.com. You can get that for the rest of the weekend. All right. All uh- right. I'm going to update this uh, poll at the end of the night, but I I put up a poll uh, about 15 minutes ago and about the Boneyard match. It is currently at 1,980 votes, so we will read the results at the end of the show and see what what this is at and what everyone's reaction to the Boneyard match is. Can we agree that's going to be 
90% of the discussion coming out of this show. Maybe 100%. The decision put, to put it in the main event, I thought was the right call because no match was going to be following oh, that. Follow that. Could you imagine no. Goldberg coming out after that? No. Impossible. Yeah. That, it was the only way you could have ended this show. Which I think also does set people's expectations either high or low. I, I did see people that did not like this. And I think that there's going to be a healthy amount that loved it, hated it. But in terms of the Funhouse match tomorrow... I think it puts a level of expectation, at least in the production, that it has to be equal to this while also being unique to itself. Certainly, yeah. I think prior to seeing that match, I would say the general consensus was probably lowered expectation because we've seen WWE attempt things like this before, and they're, to varying degrees of, 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 I would say, quality and ridiculousness. I don't know how many people expected them to go like you know, very near final deletion level of, like, crazy campiness with an Undertaker-WrestleMania match. But I think we kind of saw them get to that level. And well, They got to that level. Wait, this and when, was... you're, when you're talking about, you know, a Firefly Funhouse, which I think, you know, um, like, relies on ridiculousness that much more, I, I would definitely say expectations are higher. Um, did you, by any chance, get to see the Drew McIntyre Chronicle today? I did. I watched it. What did, what did you think about it? I don't think we'll have a chance to talk about it later. Just r- real quick, this was interesting that they were doing their traditional chronicle in the lead up to WrestleMania, and all of a sudden, the COVID-19 pandemic hits. He is over there in the in the UK uh, promoting WrestleMania, um, shooting stuff, and then all of a sudden, this happens, and you can see the most telling scene is the day after, where you he just cannot cover it up, how devastated he is. Not just, I'm sure he's reacting like everyone else is to this crisis, but also knowing, wow, this is like my big moment that I'm watching come come, come away at the seams. So that was his immediate reaction. But I think, you know, towards the end, he, like many of us, came to the realization that, hey, like his disappointment is only one small, small, small portion of this grand story that the entire world is, is you know, uh, going through right now. Um my thoughts on it, I thought it should have absolutely aired in place of Raw yes. this week. Like, you couldn't have asked for a better build to WrestleMania than an episode like that. What I think I especially liked about it was the fact that they managed to... They didn't shy away from mentioning COVID-19. They didn't shy away from just the discussion about what exactly is going on in, in the world right now. And I think that type of honesty does a whole lot more to, like get you interested in seeing a guy succeed than, you know, whatever video package in storyline thing that they, they had instead. I, I, I just, it still baffles me, like the amount of great quality content that they sit on with the WWE network that never sees the light of day on their bigger platforms. There's, there was no excuse this week not to run this instead of, you know, Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair or uh, whatever they aired on Monday. Uh, this, it was the exact same note I had coming out of this, this should have been the first hour of Raw, um, or wh- whatever. This would have taken up a whole hour of Raw. Mm-hmm. It's really captivating. Much more so than just, you know, let's let's air a Charlotte Flair match. I don't know how much that necessarily promotes what is coming up. This directly heightens your interest, segment by segment, for the match you're building. And then you have the Lesnar-Heyman promo at the end of Raw. Yeah, I would have 1,000% run this on Raw this past week. No, normally, I understand because you want live content for a, an audience that's paying money to watch a wrestling live, but you're not in that period. If anything, you need like I mean they they aired pre taped content. The whole thing is pre taped now. So I, in my opinion, I 
I didn't really understand why they did not do something like that when they had, I think, such a goldmine of storytelling there. Do you have any thought after we kind of discussed this a bit on Friday night that we watched tonight, we watched four hours, we're going to watch another four tomorrow. Would this have been an idea that, you know, with all of these matches, this would have taken them into the month of May and just promoting this as WrestleMania month in WWE? Like where, when you look at the amount of time that they're dedicating to in-ring matches on Raw and SmackDown, it's very little. Like tonight, you could have gotten X amount of weeks out of what we saw tonight. They yeah. opted to do this. Um, I, I kind of feel the, the other way that I think this all of this taping, had it been much like AEW's done, I think that this could have been promoted as WrestleMania month. It's all these big matches on TV for a month, and I, I think that... That could have been an option. It, it it was an option. I mean, I still feel like it is an option if they wanted to air these matches on TV. If they can't do any more content, I I would imagine by the t- when they decided to to you know do it this way, I don't know if they really knew exactly what their taping schedule was going to be like. I don't know how realistic they felt the possibility of them not being able to, to continue with shows was. I mean, and and beyond that, we just I think we can tell by this point Vince is just really adamant about getting this WrestleMania done and. He did. So we're here to talk about it. One last uh, news item before we get into WrestleMania is that uh, Donald Trump held a call today with several league uh, sports uh, representatives from the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, like Roger Goodell was on this call, Gary Bettman, uh, Adam Silver, and Dana White and Vince McMahon were included on this call. Uh, the White House put out a very vague synopsis of pretty much just, you know, encouraging them to... Uh, you know, there was really no substance to what was discussed in this call, and I guess it was more so curious had there been any kind of like if there had been any you know orders directed or in, in, in terms of encouraging because all these leagues have sat on the sidelines with the exception of Vince McMahon and Dana White, but it seems like this was more so just a a call for that didn't really have much uh, of a message behind it. So we don't know what was said. What? We don't know what was said other than like the White House put out just just a statement that it was j- just kind of, you know, encourage your fans to uh, persevere through this whole thing. And that's kind of what they left it at. So maybe we'll learn more about what was on that uh, particular call. But just interesting, given the uh, the powerful figures that were on this call and the fact that Vince McMahon and Dana White in on that amongst the uh, the most powerful people in sports. I'm sure you love that being included in that list must have been quite the Zoom party. Who who do you think like is the last one to dial in? Because you know that like, that's an ego thing about who's going to be the last one to dial in. Because you don't want to be the first one. Oh God, I don't know. I don't really know much about the other personalities outside of Dana and Vince. Um, yeah, Vince w- Vince would have been on that damn speakerphone that he does for all the investors' calls. Eating. Thanks, thanks, Donald. Uh, what's going on? Jeez. I can just imagine. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's get into WrestleMania. We have a lot to discuss. This is going to be a lengthy one. So the kickoff show began at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and we had Corey Graves and Peter Rosenberg as our hosts uh, in Stanford. And right off the top, Corey Graves promotes that the show is free on the WWE Network, but we don't want you to be beholden to one place. You can also buy this show on the Fox Sports app, and on Fight TV, a Fight TV promo on WrestleMania. 
I love this. <laughs> you can get the show for free, but if you feel like spending money, you can do that too. Yeah, we don't want to limit <laughs> you. We don't want to control you. We want to give you the option. We want to give we you the freedom. We don't want you to be beholden to one yeah. place. Oh, well, that's thank awesome. you so much. Oh, I loved it. Oh, come um, on. Like, I, I, I don't envy, you know, somebody like, like Corey or whoever has to write this copy. No, because they, this they've is got this, a, this is oh the stupidest God. situation to have to be in and to try to sell the idea that there's any option but the free option that makes sense for anybody with any sort of logic out there is is a tough ask. We're conducting an IQ test out there, everybody. <laughs> so here are your options. Um, Corey Graves and Peter Rosenberg, I found watching this that it's a really unappreciated uh, talent of quarterbacking these chats and how valuable a Renee Young is when she hosts these. And with these two, like it felt at times... You know, they're trying to get into their conversation and then you'd have like these awkward outs as they mm -hmm. go to these video packages and such. And it just felt like a little clunky at times, just the the interplay and the ins and outs from from the segments. Um, not to say this was uh, terrible or anything, but I think it just it does shine a light that there is um, a rhythm to these. And, you know, having that host who has that experience, I think that that helps a lot. It's a combination of this not being the A crew and really just the weird circumstance surrounding it all, right? Um, there have there have been stories attached to these, but I would as, at best say that they're really kind of uh, strung together for the most part, last minute stories without, I think, a great deal of like meat to talk about if you're going to bullshit for like an hour about who in kayfabe you think is going to win or, or lose. Um it, you know, really, most of these kickoffs, I, I would say, aren't necessarily worth watching if you've been following the stories week to week anyway. Um, but this one just, it, you know, it's kind of especially felt like it was just there for the sake of like being there. And I'm sure there are a lot of casuals who, you know, maybe appreciated it as a way to catch up as well. Yeah, well, they they were probably hurrying to go find their credit card to go buy buy the pay-per-view mm, on yes. Fox app. That's right. So they ran down the matches for tonight. So on the kickoff, you did find out what matches you were going to see. They listed off the Boneyard match. Sami Zayn, Daniel Bryan, the three-way ladder match, which on Saturday, they announced on the bump, the Miz was injured in that brawl on SmackDown. So he was out, and it would be John Morrison, Kofi Kingston, and Jimmy Uso. Elias versus King Corbin, the Kabuki Warriors against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, Becky Lynch against Shayna Baszler, Bill Goldberg versus Braun Strowman, and Kevin Owens against Seth Rollins. Uh, and therefore, the other matches are all set for night two, the big ones being Lesnar, McIntyre, Edge Orton, and Cena and Bray Wyatt. I thought they were going to separate Edge and Orton with uh, Drew McIntyre and Brock Lesnar, as those two I felt were the most anticipated matches, and matches that you could really you know, uh, promote as, I would say, main events. But uh, instead, they opted, I think on paper, to me at least, it seems like night two is the better one. Uh, but they must have been quite confident in that taker match headlining. I don't know if they were, to be honest, because I think the fact that they waited so late to announce what matches were on it, like they revealed us on the kickoff. So if you're sitting down to watch the kickoff, I think you're already in the mindset that I'm watching WrestleMania tonight. So you get the lineup. Are you really turning things off? And I think most people, Edge and Orton is the match that they most want to see. And they loaded up night two because they had already brought you in for night one. Could be. Yeah, that could be the thinking as well. So we kick things off with, uh, well, they aired the, uh, the Miz and John Morrison music video that they did. And mm -hmm. just, just for, I guess, uh, 
non-promotional purposes with The Miz not on this show anymore. And then we go to Drew Gulak and Cesaro, which was uh, a kickoff match added today, along with Natalia and Liv Morgan, which will be on tomorrow night. And Michael Cole calling this one solo. But thankfully for the rest of the show, he would have a broadcast partner in JBL. Yes, JBL got the call to uh, do this one. And I was concerned that I didn't know how they were going to split it up, if they were going to have like Cole call all of night one and then uh, Byron and, and calling night two. But they did split between the two. Yes. Yeah. Thankfully for Michael Cole, he was not calling this this whole night. Uh, Gulak comes out. He does the, the catch point sign in the ring and they start off and it's Gulak uh, countering the neutralizer and working for a cross face and focusing on Cesaro's right arm. And he drove him into the steps twice. Gulak then comes off the top and gets hit with an uppercut, but Cesaro had to use his bad arm with the uppercut, so he's selling it very effectively. The Gulak gets countered, and then Cesaro uses his good arm, the left one, to land an uppercut, lifts him up for the airplane spin, including the no-hands version, and pins Drew Gulak at 4 minutes and 25 seconds. I was getting into this. It was just very short, and I think the idea was... Let's not overdo the empty arena setting before we even get to the show. But I thought these two uh, could have had a, you know, if they had gone five more minutes, I think it would have been uh, that much better. This was just too short. They were kind of on their way to having, I thought, a pretty decent opener here. For for a kickoff match that really has no storyline attached to it, that was really only there to, like, you know, I guess whet your appetite if you haven't purchased the network yet, if you're watching this on YouTube or Twitter or something. I thought it was a good length. Um, I thought it was actually a, a perfect length because you're left with a big sprint. And these guys, I would say Drew Gulak, especially over the past few weeks, I think have really figured out a good formula for these types of empty arena shows. You either go super technical or you sprint and you give zero dead time in your matches. And I think this whole ordeal has actually really, in a way, benefited somebody like Drew Gulak because he's gotten a great deal of TV time. I feel like I see him wrestle, you know, at least once a week. And he gets to, like, work a style that I would say certainly stands out in this environment, you know, um... Again, kind of like a technical style fits a lot better in an intimate setting. And he's getting to get wrestle guys like Cesaro and Brian and Nakamura where he's able to actually do his style and have good technical matches. So, like, coming out of this month, he, to me, feels like a pretty constant presence in WWE. Then we had King Corbin backstage with Kayla Braxton. He played the harmonica. It was awful, but it was by design to be awful. And just played a song for Elias. They had Renee Young, Booker T, and Mark Henry do a, a tape preview of the women's title match. And then we go on to the main show itself, and it opens up with Stephanie McMahon, who says that there would be no audience tonight due to the ongoing circumstances, and they're here to provide a diversion, and thanked the talent and all of you for tuning in tonight as they threw to a montage of all the various renditions over the years of America the Beautiful to, in lieu of having someone there to sing it, just piece together past performances to make out the song with the notable exception of no uh, Chris Warren of the DX band doing the 98 version in Boston. Yeah. I don't know how all that would have fit next to Aretha Franklin and, and Ray Charles. Um, I think it was going to uh, fit, fit that well. So they, uh, they piece this together and I thought this was like a nice edited version uh, being creative under the circumstances. I thought it was an excellent idea. You know, it had the fanfare plus you had a bit of nostalgia attached to it while keeping up with traditions. So you know, there's that. I I think Stephanie coming out with the with the reset, the green screen at, at the beginning was was pretty interesting too. She essentially came out here to do what Hunter did on that first night that they do you know uh, did a show at the performance center, and I think that's sort of like you know, hey everybody, this is why we're doing it is is good to have is important. I you know I I would have figured it might have been Vince doing it, 
But I think it's clear he is. I mean, th- this has been something for a while of him. He is no longer really that 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 front facing person that they put out there anymore. And this was just more so um, a testament to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like you know, his presence, I would say, is certainly kind of missed. Like in a time like this, when there's so much weirdness is going on, he ultimately, of course, everybody knows, is still the man responsible. But at least on camera, it seems like he doesn't. He wants to give that role to somebody else. Can you imagine the first UFC back and Dana opening up the show? <laughs> yeah. Listen, all you guys. I don't know why it took so long. <laughs> so after the montage, uh, the opening video, I I don't even know how to recap this. It was like done like a spoof on a dramatic opening to a movie. And with the voiceover, directing all the shots, making fun of all the cliched nature of this. And then it went into ACDC. And of course, ACDC. Of course, ACDC is here to save us through this crisis. I mean, when in doubt, that's who Vince McMahon has on the ready here. I think we got all his favorite bands on this show. Uh, I just thought this video was just so weird. It was weird. Now, I do wonder what this was supposed to look like maybe a month ago who knows what sort of re-editing they 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 did clearly they had shoots to you know uh do whatever package they were intending on on doing and then instead i i feel like there you had was this guy supposed to be like a jack sparrow type like the dude with the accent was he supposed to sound like a pirate yeah okay so yeah you had like a jack sparrow sounding guy who essentially was like hijacking the video and you know rewinding it and doing it himself um it was, it was certainly different, um, but I again I I, I, don't, I have no idea what the circumstances were. I, I I don't know what would cause this to be the decision at the end. Um, I I don't know. I I didn't really like it all that much. Rob Gronkowski opens up the show and he is up there on the perch, and this just felt like an SNL sketch with him and Mojo Rawley who came out and Gronk started chopping him. I will say, though, for the amount of what I was expecting, this was – they did not rely heavily on Gronkowski, at least for night one. Well, these hosting gigs, like, rarely are, are anything more than really one to, like, three to four appearances at most. Well, what so. did we get tonight? Two? It was just this and the R-Truth thing. Like, that's yeah. all he was used for, and I wasn't complaining either. Um, Re- really, it's just a way to advertise a celebrity or somebody's name to attach to, to the product and – that's as, about as much as we got. It, it, to me, it was certainly jarring to see, like, of all faces, the first broadcast on a WrestleMania is Gronk wearing, like, a Zubaz suit and, like, like 80s glasses. Like, I, imagine if he did, like, the opening message that Stephanie ended up doing. <laughs> Yo! We're here to we're here to make sure there's a distraction because uh, of all these uh, ongoing circumstances. <laughs> Um, you know, they have hinted though in different interviews, like Gronkowski doing a lot more physicality than you would expect. So mm. I would imagine he's doing something of note on night two, you would think. And they kind of set this. Get, yeah. Getting revenge on Mojo. That's, that's what I kind of thought here was that something involving that 24 seven title they'll do tomorrow night. Michael Cole is then joined by JBL who, um, almost felt like he had just come out of captivity and was like reacclimating himself to like what wrestling is now. With all you, these characters you think, that he was trying to... You think this dude's been sitting through the hours and hours of empty arena matches leading up to this? Come on. I, I definitely do not. Yes. 
I thought I thought once he started talking about like Mr. Fuji managing the Great Kabuki, I was like, oh, this guy doesn't even really have a grasp on like the last generation. So this one certainly felt like a last minute call. Hey, can you get on a flight to call WrestleMania? I don't really want to, but uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> so the Kabuki Warriors versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross started the show for the WWE Women's Tag Titles. Uh, I will say, like Oscar, you can see like. She has a, a tremendous charisma about her, and she always has, mm-hmm. but it, it really has been during this empty arena period that they have leaned on her heavily, and I think she has really you know, found herself on this main roster. It's very hard to go from NXT Asuka to Raw or SmackDown Asuka, and I think in this, this period over the last, I would say longer than just last month, maybe last couple of months, that she's understanding what is going to get me television time, and my God, they're putting her on commentary. And it just seems like that kind of confidence has you, – you can see that in her. Yes, I agree with you. I think it, it took, you know, certainly some some tinkering and tooling for not just Asuka but really the WWE, like, staff to come up with, like, a compelling character that she could do to an English-speaking audience. And over the past several months, she's managed to do, to do that. And, you know, I think uh, – I don't know if, like – she. I guess she lives there. So, you know, a combination of, I think, accessibility plus, I think, you know – um, some you know, a character that just happens to translate despite an empty arena or a full crowd has given her a lot more airtime recently. Nikki Cross uh, received the hot tag after they had the heat on Alexa Bliss and hit a high cross. Uh, Kyrie then poked her in the eyes behind the referee's back. Later on, Cross hit a swinging neckbreaker onto Asuka uh, that got broken up with an insane elbow that looked to be um, the the magic of editing uh, to make that look more. Well, it was. It seemed pretty glaring at that point. Oscar went for the Oscar lock, and that was broken up with a twisted Bliss. And then Kyrie speared Bliss. Oscar lifts Cross onto her shoulders, almost like a setup for a Doomsday device. As Kyrie came off the top with a forearm smash, Cross then hit Sane with the swinging neckbreaker, and Alexa hit twisted Bliss onto Sane's legs, and she couldn't kick out because the twisted Bliss landed on her legs. What a magnificent way to. Uh, to cripple somebody. So Bliss pins her, 15 minutes, three seconds. Uh, I I would say, like, the four worked pretty hard here in this match. It was very tough in the setting because you're just seeing this match was so structured around a lot of these big near falls at the end. I would say kind of the level you would anticipate Asuka and Kairi to be at, but much above an Alexa Bliss-Nikki Cross match. Sure, I agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I was curious to know how my reaction would be to a lot of these matches that were I was going to see on, on this pay-per-view because I would say my reaction to most of the matches I've seen on Raw or SmackDown have been pretty, and even NXT have been pretty substandard. You know, they they just are there are matches that, that just take place, and I, I find myself tuning out. But starting from, I would say, this match, I definitely found myself paying a lot more attention than typical on a Raw or SmackDown. And I don't know if it's just because they're longer matches. I don't know if it's because they're better matches, but um, they felt slightly different to me. And I would say that that this one was the first for me to feel that way. I thought all four worked really hard. They designed some really nice spots. Um, I loved how like both of them managed to break up their opponent's finishes or, or uh, pinfalls using like their own diving finishes. And it was a match that got me to kind of at a time forget about this weird distracting setting, which I, I consider a success. And I think a bit ambitious, too, on their part that, you know, this is ultimately, after these tapings, 
a jigsaw puzzle of where you put all these matches in whatever order you think work. And mm-hmm. they opted to go with, you know, by the, on this show, this was one of the longer matches clocking in at 1503 and they decided to open it with it and, you know, do a title change that baby faces get the big win. And ultimately I, I would say this match would be above my expectations. I would have had of this match in this setting. Other options, you know, I felt it was a combination of, of it being a good fast paced match as well, not necessarily a match that I think carried so much stakes to it that it would have affected the next match too much. Because your other options would have been what? Corbin Elias? I don't think you could start off with that. Even the oh, ladder, even the triple threat ladder match, I don't think he would have started with that either. So I, I really thought this was a good choice for an opener. It, it worked for the spot they were in. Kayla Braxton interviewed Sami Zayn, who's with Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro. And Sami Zayn said, it is not a guarantee Daniel Bryan even gets his hands on me. You see, Kayla, there's this man named Kazuki Fujita. And that who is who I am going to channel tonight against <laughs> Go Shiosaki. And he is not going to pass Go. There will be no green light. He will not make it. Give me the red light because this WrestleMania, there is going to be no rider, no flow, even though this is the only state that WrestleMania can go in. Oh, my, John. I think this has inspired you to, I don't know, be a be, uh, right promos at least. So this is that a great fantastic. promo from Sami Zayn. <laughs> Second match of the night was King Corbin and Elias. Corbin cuts a promo. Replaying the attack, which I think they have replayed this attack, I think, five times this week, of Elias falling to his death, and he wants to be declared the winner by forfeit, but Elias enters. And it was such a, it's such a, a cliche spot that's designed for the pop, like count to 10, and then the music plays, you hear the guitar riff, but mm-hmm. he comes out to nothing, and it, then he breaks the guitar over Corbin's back, and Elias was showing this fire, and I was thinking... If this goes two minutes and it's just Elias beating the shit out of this guy, this is the best utilization of this. The two-minute mark came and we continued. JBL noted that Baron Corbin, he doesn't care about making fans, kissing babies, or selling merchandise as this guy is literally wrestling in his own (laughs) t-shirt. After selling forever... Uh, both men took turns throwing the other's shoulder into the post. There was this awful clothesline from Elias. Then he hit this inverted roll of the dice that Corbin kicked out of. And then Corbin was caught using the rope for leverage. So as he's complaining to the referee, Elias rolls him up and hooks the tights to pin him at 8 minutes and 53 seconds. Sucked. Damn, this was... That's that's a long time, I would say, for this match. Um you know, regardless of, I think, empty or full arena, uh, it was more difficult for me to get into this one for sure. You know, I, th- it, I thought this was easily the worst match on the show. Oh, yeah. Um, this felt like the type of wrestling match you'd see at any, like, local shopping mall that was housing a, an, an indie show. You know, just a lot of, I would say, you know, basic wrestling cliches, like a guy's not going to show up. And then, of course, he does show up. Um, Corbin, very much, I would say, a generic heel. And Elias... For somebody who I don't really consider a fully formed babyface yet, like just came across like a generic babyface here without any sort of spectacular wrestling whatsoever. So I will say, you know, I think a match like this would have absolutely died with the crowd. Without a crowd, yes, you can't see anybody's adulation, but you also can't see their disapproval either. So <laughs> this match was kind of protected. You are being so kind right now. Oh, it was protected absolutely by the lack of crowd there to turn on it. Well, um, this match, it occurred. 
Becky Lynch versus Shayna Baszler for the Raw Women's title. Very early, this one went on. I mean, this when you're putting together this card, I mean, granted, we didn't know what the Boneyard match would entail, uh, but th- this would certainly be a candidate to that could have closed the show. Becky and Shayna, yeah, I was wondering, you know, I would certainly, like, because could, you know, I asked myself if they could actually headline this thing with Braun Strowman versus Goldberg, given just how, half like, there was was zero build attached to it. That is a match you announced in, like, one line on the go-home edition of SmackDown. So can that It's literally a change that I'm sure there were people watching SmackDown. If you were not paying attention to the news, you probably would have missed it. Yes. It was that discreet on Friday. If you're one of the people ordering on the Fox app, I don't know if you're watching close enough to know know any any of these changes. No. Um, So Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton are, this is the first appearance of them. And Lynch arrives outside in her semi-truck and just walks in as... uh, They're really uh, getting their mileage out of that semi-truck that they paid a lot of money for, clearly. Literally, yes. They started the match throwing strikes, and Baszler lands a leg kick and immediately goes for the Kirafuda clutch, which is stopped. On the apron, Baszler is laying in her forearms and the knee. I thought her offense looked really good here. And then Becky responded with a urinagi. Baszler comes back with a double underhook into the armbar, but Lynch clasps the hands and is able to, to break. And Baszler transitions into the disarmer, using the Fujiwara armbar on Becky herself. Becky gets out of that. And then Lynch attempts to disarm her while she's on the top rope. Baszler gets out and goes for the Kirafuda clutch, dumping Lynch to the floor, and then swings Becky into the announcer's desk twice before applying the Kirafuda clutch in the ring and does the Bret Hart Roddy Piper, Bret Hart Steve Austin, and rolls backward and catches Baszler with the fluke and pins her at 8 minutes, 32 seconds. Definitely keeps this one open-ended. Um... How did how did you feel this match? Um, it's such a big match, and how it uh, played out. I thought these two had a good match. You know, it was really quick, good pace from start to finish. Like the women's tag, I thought they had a really good few planned spots that I think kept my attention throughout. You know, with both of them hunting for their respective submissions, applying them in various circumstances, and then when Shayna, Shayna finally finally locks it, it's Becky who has it scouted and ends up winning with a counter. So. Um, I, I thought it was a good match. I, I liked the match too. Um, you know, so often, you know, WrestleMania, it gets referred to as where all, all the programs culminate. That's, it's rarely the case. This was the first match and this was clearly designed for whether it be a submission match coming out of this. Like the, the story here was that Becky fluked her way and beat, uh, caught Baszler, but didn't beat Baszler. So I very much see this one continuing out of this. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think it was the right time to change the title because I don't think Shayna is really that hot at the moment. She's only, I, I would say her momentum's been like definitely derailed by, I think, the lack of appearances on TV over the past several weeks. Um, what I do have some concerns about is whether or not something like this will lead to Vince, you know, losing interest in Shayna as like a new shiny toy, as, you know, I think he's been known to do. Often guys will get their title shots and then. For whatever reason, they don't see much potential beyond uh, the title shot, and then they just kind of get relegated to the mid-card. And I hope Shayna Baszler isn't one of those. I thought this was a good Shayna match, but far from the level of, of, I think, what what she would be capable of, as I've seen her at her best in NXT. Well, we always had that question about Shayna Baszler, and will Vince McMahon get Shayna Baszler? And Mm -hmm. 
he changed his mind on the rumble of her winning and here losing. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's still a valid question. Like, do there, there's always a time to beat someone and they opted to beat Shayna Baszler here, but still somewhat protect her in the finish. Like it wasn't a decisive, um, wasn't like, uh, Becky had a shovel and Shayna was under 10 pounds of dirt either. <laughs> so from there, we go to the Intercontinental title match. This is Sami Zayn and Daniel Bryan. And we got Nakamura, Cesaro, and Gulak in the respective corners. And Sami Zayn was just going to avoid locking up with Daniel Bryan and run the clock. They got to about three minutes. Yes, yes. I mean, this was no Tai Chi, um, Tetsuya Naito match, nor was it a... Because uh, you keep Vegeta, Goshiozaki, but three minutes was uh, for a WWE match. I thought it was respectable. That was the game. It was Brian trying to get by the Shield in mm-hmm. not not the group the Shield, but what Cesaro and Nakamura were playing. And what I liked about this, you know, there are people that may not enjoy Sami Zayn being in this cowardly role, but that's the role, and he plays the role really well. He is not playing one of the best wrestlers from NXT or on the roster. He is playing the cowardly manager. And this is where the babyface finally gets his hands on the manager and emphasizing that big deal of just Brian getting his hands on this guy. Finally, where one-on-one there's a giant skill discrepancy that Daniel Bryan will kill this guy. And I thought Zane totally understands his role and played it great in this. So mm. he is just, Constantly trying to get away from Brian, and then finally he uh, Brian is able to. He gets on the mic actually, um, and just tells him, "If you want to be counted out, you can leave." So Zayn goes to leave, and Brian tackles him on the ramp and sends him in. Zayn is begging him off, begging for mercy, and Brian just drills him, punches, knees, hits him with a pair of suicide dives, kicks him in the chest, slaps him, just beating the shit out of Sami Zayn. And then hits a sequence of kicks, ending with a head kick, stomps him down, and then Nakamura and Cesaro return, and they send Drew Gulak into the steps. So Brian dives onto both of them, and as he returns to the ring, comes off the top turnbuckle into a boot from Sami Zayn, which they note is a version of the Haluva kick. I guess just that boot connecting with anything is a Haluva kick, and Brian is done. Sami Zayn pins him in 937 to retain the title. I thought it was close enough. I mean, a, a boot's a boot, right? To, to me, it was just kind of out, out of nowhere that this kept Brian down. It just seemed to be um, nothing even really all that, that underhanded by Zayn either. Oh, well, I mean, Cesaro and Nakamura were distracting him on the outside. That was... That he took was them out, finished. he climbed to the top, and then he flew. And he got caught with a boot. But because he had to take them out, he had to take his mind off of the match. I thought this was a very good match. You know, my my usual barometer for these empty arena matches is how much I'm able to forget about the empty arena. And this one, not only did I forget about the empty arena, I actually got into this story quite a bit. I think in the right hands, you know, in, in guys like Brian and Zane, like the lack of crowd noise can actually be a benefit to them in that it allows them to take full control of the stories that they intend to tell. And here, not only did they do it through their wrestling, but they use their voices a lot. They were using, you know, they were talking a lot and using their, their dialogue as a way to exactly explain, I think, the type of story that they were trying to, to tell. I thought Zane, you know, was very entertaining in this match. Like, the type of stalling that he does is not the type of, like, annoying, aggravating stalling that I think, 
you know, people get really upset at Tai Chi about. Zayn is just fun to watch when he's trying to, like, you know, evade. Um, I think stylistically, Brian here, I thought you used everything he probably learned from from previous empty arena matches. We had a combination of good technical wrestling and very stiff looking strikes. This was a very aggressive Daniel Bryan. Like the the empty arena makes those smacks just sound a lot louder and really a lot better even on camera. So way better than I thought it would be. And this is where Sami Zayn's next promo needs to be that I am a fighting champion and there's nothing that I would want to do more then give Daniel Bryan another shot at this Intercontinental title. But I'm going to be unselfish, and I think that I need to self-isolate for an indefinite period of time, <laughs> and I just I have to remove myself from this title picture, so I'm taking an indefinite leave of absence as your Intercontinental champion. That would be a great gimmick. But yeah, then you're going to get people like... You know, wanting him to not self-isolate, and what kind of what kind of babyface is Brian going to be to demand somebody leave self-isolation? Well, there is that. You don't you don't want to uh, send that message here, but I, I don't I don't imagine that that's going to be. Uh, I, I don't mm-hmm. think I'm going to be writing Sami Zayn's promos. <laughs> then we had the ladder match. This was a so we have a three way ladder match for the tag titles. It's it's super strange. Yeah, we have John Morrison, Kofi Kingston, and Jimmy Uso. JBL said, this was the greatest collection of athletes we have ever seen in a ladder match. Ever. Okay. When he says athletes, does he mean like people who could jump really high? Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, when you look at like the respective uh, athletic careers of these two, like in high school, college, I, I don't know if this would be the deepest. And I'm almost positive, like, how many how many ladder matches have Kofi and John Morrison been in together in Money in the Bank ladder matches? You're telling me that the cumulative athleticism in some of those ladder matches do not equal a Jimmy Uso. Give the man a break. He probably just like got on a plane and just, you know, had to had to do this right off. They immediately brought the three ladders into the ring, and Kofi tried to fly through a ladder, was caught by Morrison and uh, and Jimmy as they dumped him to the floor. And Jimmy then was set up on the ladder on the turnbuckle, and Morrison hit this corkscrew coming off the top. And then Morrison starts to climb. Kingston returns with a springboard, sending Morrison off with a Hurricane Rana. Kingston from there sets up a ladder against the barricade and the apron, placing Jimmy onto it. Morrison and Kingston were on opposite corners, so Morrison tightrope walks across the ring onto Kofi's side and hits a one-man Spanish fly into the ring, followed by Jimmy Uso with a frog or with a splash off the top onto Morrison. JBL yells, "This is what WrestleMania is all about!" And Jimmy then sends Kingston into the ladder headfirst. Morrison came off the ladder that was sideways into a super kick from Jimmy. Jimmy's on the ladder. Morrison tips it over. This was interesting. They cut in close on on the two, so you never see Jimmy land on the floor. And I'm. I'm almost sure that they probably put like a crash pad or something on the bottom because they never showed the landing. And I say, bravo, if they did that, like, why, why waste a bump like that when you can give the illusion of him falling on the floor? Cause they went in close on these two and never showed the, the bump. It's possible. We don't know. Um, yeah. With these types oh, well, of pre-tape. Matches, if it was a real bump and they missed it, I'd be furious. Or maybe it didn't look good. You know, maybe he landed too much on his feet. Who knows? So 
all three are fighting on the ladders, and then they grab the tag titles collectively. And there's a double headbutt. Morrison falls down to his death onto the ladder, but has the two titles in his possession. Therefore, John Morrison wins the match in 18 minutes and 33 seconds to retain the tag titles by himself. I thought the finish was a little bit hokey, but I thought very creative, you know, um, and certainly a finish you can only do with Velcro belts. So you can thank Velcro for that. Overall, I thought it was a really good ladder match. You know, it was certainly weird seeing, I think, such a grandiose match type, like a ladder match in front of nobody, in like without any of the crowd noise that you would typically associate with a ladder match, seeing a ton of close-ups for, you know, a, a match type that I usually consider to be just really grandiose and kind of stadium, um, you know, appropriate. But I thought there was enough in this match to really distract you from that awkward feeling. Some really good creative spots planned throughout, very good high-flying, some very painful-looking bumps. I absolutely felt like John Morrison stole the show here. You know, he's been a great addition to this tag team mix. Uh, and he, he's a great kind of compliment to somebody like Kofi or any of the Usos. And I thought he absolutely like stole the show here with a combination of just great creativity and like incredible physical feat, even more so than somebody like a Kofi Kingston. So he, he treated this like this, this was WrestleMania and he was, was working playground. this with, with, with the mindset of WrestleMania. And I yes. give credit to these three because I would say of everyone on this card, this was the hardest match I would imagine mentally to get yourself up for that. Like, this is a really physical match and there's a lot of, uh, of negatives to, to just your, your health to doing a match like this. And they went out there and they did quite a lot for a ladder match in this kind of environment. And remember, and think about like the type of adjustment these guys must have had to make, knowing that their match was basically cut in half, like literally cut in half with half the participants, probably without that much that much notice. Oh, probably very little time. Yeah, like they probably had a ton planned with like six people, and all of a sudden to have to like you know adjust everything to just suit three. Uh, I thought all in all came out really well. Yeah, I think the the overall of this match, like you have to be pretty high on this. I, I did think the finish was a little goofy, but overall this was, you know, I, I think you have to give a lot of credit for these three uh, working this match kind of with the with the same mindset as if people were there. Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, and um, I wanted to note this because uh, Pat LaProd and uh, Kevin Raphael, uh, friends of the show, uh, they do th- their own podcast, uh, Le Antipods de la Lutte. And they had Kevin Owens on this week. And this interview was done in French. But uh, they did send along some some notes uh, translated uh, of Kevin Owens talking about what the experience was like. Um, this was done earlier this week. So WrestleMania had been taped, but the match had not aired yet, obviously. And he said that uh, – th- this is from Owens and the notes uh, from Kevin. The fact that no one was there, it didn't affect me. When I got to the ring, I felt like it was WrestleMania and it was a big deal. And when they asked about the precautions that WWE took, uh, listen to this. He says, every time that you left the building, they would take your temperature again. They made you fill out a document that says you don't have any symptoms uh, and monitoring any. They, They cleaned every centimeter of the PC. They cleaned the ropes and changed the mat after every match and said that the WWE took it very seriously. And when asked about the WWE never mentioning the coronavirus or COVID-19, Owen said, I can confirm to you uh, there was no demand from the WWE. In my promos, I never wanted to mention it because uh, it didn't add to the story. Uh, if there was a rule, I'm not aware of it. So I guess uh, this is translated from French. So I think he's just explaining like he wasn't told specifically not to bring it up, but it was his choice 
uh, not not to mention it. And I mean, that did seem to be something across the board. They were avoiding that term. Well, that's good to know. Those are interesting notes. Uh, the fact that they changed the mat every single match to me is 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 more than I expected that they would do. So it's it's really cool to know that. All right, so into the match. This is uh, Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. I really liked Rollins' entrance. It wasn't anything flashy or special, but he can't, comes out in these bright white tights with Messiah, and he's got this shit-eating grin on his face, and he just came out looking like an asshole, and it was great. I thought he had a really great entrance. Like He just was a guy that you were looking forward to seeing get attacked by this man. Are you upset we didn't, you know, um, get what probably would have been some some really the great big grand entrances that you typically uh, associate with Mania? Seth Rollins was the guy. Like obviously Becky with the truck, you could see that was planned. But Seth Rollins, to me, with the whole God complex, I imagine they would have had a pretty outlandish entrance in mind for him that would have been pretty awesome if Perhaps. they would have gone that. Like I don't know, like he's he's rising up or who who knows what. Comes out with like a bunch of indie guys as like the disciples or something, or who knows. Hmm. I think you could have had a great entrance for Seth Rollins. So, uh, this got uh, physical right away. There's a falcon arrow onto the edge of the apron. Rollins landed a suicide dive. And I would say, Owens, like one of the things I really enjoy, have always enjoyed about him is his shit talking during his matches. And that's something that, um, it was more so Rollins that was doing it here to Owens and then mm-hmm. Owens having to respond. But it's something that in, in this kind of a setting, you can emphasize that. Owens was able to avoid the stomp and landed a DDT to stop the attack, hit a cannonball and swanton. Rollins blocks the stunner and Owens just kills him with a lariat. And then in the corner, Rollins uh, does the sunset flip into a buckle bomb all the way across the ring. Gets caught with the pop-up power bomb. That's a near fall. And then on the floor, Rollins takes the timekeeper's bell and blasts Owens in the head. And they call for the disqualification. The bell rings twice. One on Owens' head and then one time to end the match. This was about 10 minutes in. And Rollins is set to leave when Owens gets on the microphone. Says, we can't end it this way. Those aren't the actions of a god, but of a little bitch. Did you catch that word? I did catch the word, yes. And they want to finish it. So Owens proposes a no-DQ match. Rollins accepts, and they restart, and Rollins just goes back to pounding this guy. Flying knee, takes him to the floor, beats him with chair shot after chair shots, and just laying them in when Owens takes the ring bell, and he clocks Rollins with the bell. Rollins is then on the desk, And Rollins has been ragging on him throughout the whole match. What are your kids going to think? You're a disappointment. Where's your WrestleMania moment? So Owens sets him up on the, on the, the announced the announcer's desk, then disappears and climbs to the second level on top of this WrestleMania sign and yells, how is this for a WrestleMania moment, bitch? (laughs) And then this man flies off of this sign they zoom out this looked like a man jumping off a mountain or something this looked insane and he crashed through the desk the most frightening bump i have ever seen in an empty venue and kills rollins they are selling the effects they are both about to expire when owens rolls them in one final stunner and pins rollins uh this was 523 after the match was restarted, and Kevin Owens gets his WrestleMania victory over God. Yes, yes. 
God's second match in the WWE. He's got a cage match record now. Yes. You know, I thought the first half of this match was a very good athletic display. Again, uh, a type of pace that I'm sure like CrossFit really helped. But I can't say I really got attached to the match at all emotionally. The restart with the DQ afterwards, though, um, you know, certainly got you back into it. But what absolutely made this match was that Owens bump. Oh, uh, man. Like, taking advantage of this setting where, I mean, for people who didn't see the show, the WrestleMania sign that they would typically suspend above the arena, they put basically on one of the sides of the wall at the PC. And this would really be the only opportunity a wrestler could ever say that they jumped off of the WrestleMania sign. Like, I think we fantasy book it. We discuss like, oh, yeah, wait, wait till somebody, Jeff Hardy can dive off of that thing. Well, now you can actually do it because it was within reach and it was very right next to the to the announce table. It was an amazing spot, you know, worthy of future WrestleMania highlights. And this was a show. This is a show that I, you know, in, in when we look back at WrestleManias, I don't know how often this show will be discussed anymore. Like, to me, this might be the type of show that WWE will try to bury and and hopefully, you know, make you forget rather than celebrate. But I could see this spot, like, withstanding even that type of censorship because it was that spectacular. Okay, here here is my free idea that I hope happens. So I talked about the KO Mania 4 shirt, okay? They only introduced this a week or two ago. You're not doing any live events. It's kind of a dated shirt already. So... I worry this guy's not going to get m- much many sales on this shirt. So this is the shirt you make coming out of this, okay? You take that WrestleMania logo and then smack dab in the middle of that WrestleMania sign. It is the, the cutout, like the Air Jordan, yeah. but it's Kevin Owens falling. And that is just the, the cutout in the middle of that WrestleMania sign. Like E.T., like, you know, the Amblin yes, Entertainment? Yes, of Kevin Owens. You can do that cutout of <laughs> Owens in that position where he's going down, dude, like legs first. It looks insane. Yeah. And you can take that that cutout and just put it anywhere on any shirt. And I think that guy will do just fine, uh, royalty-wise. Uh, th- that's going to be the, the spot people remember. I think it's going to be that spot and the Boneyard match that people will discuss of this night, at least. Sure. Uh, I, I like the match. I thought Rollins was great in this, and I thought that they it was a really hard physical match. And sometimes with Rollins matches, you just kind of zone out of them. Like he's very good, but sometimes it's not engaging. I, I thought these two really brought out the best in each other, and they certainly, to me, overcame the environment. So I enjoyed this. This was when R-Truth showed up on the perch with Gronkowski and Mojo and ends up with Mojo pinning R-Truth for the 24-7 title, and I guess Gronkowski setting it up for him, and then Mojo capitalizing. Gronk was attempting to go for the cover, but Mojo, his friend, pulled him off of it. So, yes, setting up a a rivalry of sorts that we'll probably get a payoff with tomorrow. The Mega Powers. Tomorrow night, Yes. Yes. Charlie Caruso was in the back. We got a a promo from Paul Heyman calling Drew McIntyre a big bitch wannabe. And mm-hmm. put over Brock Lesnar, a man not even of our species, and that McIntyre can do nothing about it. Just a simple, basic promo. Yes, yes. I guess you can tell which ones are, are the raw programs, given uh, usage of the word bitch. It's all over this. It was in Shayna's video package. It was all over here. So yeah. It's the go-to word. Paul loves that word. Bill Goldberg, Braun Strowman. This was going to be second from the top, so this confirmed the Boneyard match was going on last. 
Uh, Goldberg did, I thought, his saddest entrance in the back of the PC, just like walking out of like some trainer's room and then through like the, <laughs> through like the, <laughs> he made like a 30 second walk and then just came out. They did the best they could. And the match goes two minutes and 12 seconds. And this, this felt like the Paul Heyman special that we would see in big Brock matches where it's guys just hitting all their finishers over and over again. And Goldberg, Braun tells him, you've never been in the ring with someone like me. And Goldberg just smirks at him and Strowman hoists him up. Goldberg jumps off the shoulders, hits him with one spear, two spears, three spears. Braun kicks out. Strowman staggers to his feet, fourth spear. And then Goldberg looks out to the crowd, points up in the air. The crowd goes, they were just stunned. And then Strowman countered and he hits three power slams, lifts up Goldberg for a fourth one. And that keeps him down. Braun Strowman wins the universal title in two minutes and 12 seconds. I'm going to say that if you told me what's the best way to put this match together, this it's probably the best answer. Although I would have kept it on Goldberg. I think that there's a value in Goldberg and Reigns. I can also see the argument that we don't know when Roman will be safe to come back. And we're already dealing with a shorthand. Do we want to take our title off TV right now? So I can and, see both, both arguments. And we don't know Goldberg's like travel status. And well, that's it. I mean, well, yeah. that's it. I, I wouldn't imagine Goldberg would be a regular beyond this. So mm-hmm. that might've been the idea. We just want the title in circulation and their hands were tied. So I, I'm, I don't feel strongly one way or the other in an ideal scenario. I think there was an interest in Goldberg and Roman reigns, but oh, for may, sure. maybe it's just it. Timing is not going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I agree. I think it, uh, for a Goldberg match, it absolutely took advantage of the template at this point. What I look for in a Goldberg match, isn't necessarily even like excitement. It's like, it's the fact that they're not embarrassing. And, you know, the, the fact that this was a taped match, I think it pretty much kind of wiped that out, out of possibility. But right. I, I, from what they had, I thought it it, it it was the most value you probably could have had out, out of a Goldberg match with Braun Strowman on such short notice. Thankfully, no Jack Hammer was attempt, attempted because I don't think it would have been impossible impo- for Bill to get somebody the, the size of Braun Strowman up. Um you know, and they were unfortunate in that they couldn't do their main event. Um, I, so you you kind of were left with the result, and that was a two minute match that were were was fine, was absolutely fine. I I had no issue with this. You know, these Goldberg matches when when they're done well, they're fun. Like they're just they're they're quick, they're short, they're they're just for um short attention span, and boom, it was just nonstop action for two minutes. So I didn't really have any issue with this. Then they ran an ad for WrestleMania 37, which is tentatively going to happen in Inglewood, California next year. Tentatively, yeah, sure. You mean L.A.? Well, just outside of L.A. I, 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 think that you'll, I don't think you'll hear the word Inglewood once. I don't think Inglewood is going to get much, uh, much focus. Yeah. Um, but by the way, uh, if you go to my update from Friday, uh, David Bixenspan did like a lot of research getting uh, just through uh, – requests for different records of different cities that have hosted WrestleMania and getting some of the, the revenue that's attached that WWE is uh, paid for and what, what city, what costs the cities put into these. And probably the, the deepest he was able to get into was the one in Arlington, Texas back in 2016. But he also has info uh, from Orlando in 2017 and even going back to the one at MetLife stadium in 2013 it's just really interesting if you're into that kind of thing of like the kind of money involved here 
uh, in these WrestleManias and what's being paid for, like sanction fees for a building and like what kind of uh, costs are associated. It was a very interesting uh, research project to, to read about. AJ Styles and The Undertaker in the Boneyard match, which, I mean, what city would not be making high bids to bring this to their city? To their local graves. To their, yeah, local boneyards. So this is all on location, all pre-produced, obviously. And we see a hearse pulling up into the, into the graveyard filled with smoke. Amazing how these graveyards at night uh, attract this, this smoke way. And out <laughs> of the hearse comes a casket that they open. And there is AJ comes out. I'm going to say this. From the very beginning, I don't recall a match. I watched this, obviously, by myself. I've never laughed so many times out loud by myself as I did in this match. Like, there were so many, and this was the first, of AJ getting out of the casket and just laughing. He doesn't buy into any of this bullshit. Bring on the old Mr. McCool. And then we hear the sounds of, now that we're dead... Metallica and the Undertaker pulling up on his motorcycle. They've got the overhead drone following him into the graveyard site. I mean, they did not spare anything. Say what you will. WWE, they they produced a hell of a production here. Yeah. They they absolutely I think followed the template of of a final deletion. And I think they're really like people like Matt Hardy and Jeremy Borash have a great deal of like responsibility in something like this even existing in professional wrestling i wonder if borash was involved in any of this yeah you have to wonder i would lean on him to me and absolutely kind of like relied on 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 that style of show and and really like you're you're talking about an audience that is is accepting of something like that now and you're talking about a period in wrestling where we kind of want matches like this because they certainly play a lot better than this would have if if it was just in front of another empty arena so this was, uh, again, everybody, this was American Badass Undertaker coming this out is- on a motorcycle, no uh, top hat, um, no robe, no Undertaker music. This was the de- like the American Badass. Yeah, this was Mark. AJ tells him, I've already dug your grave and Undertaker comes. But dude, this was like out of like an 80s action movie. You've dug your own grave. Dude, Undertaker's lines in this, the dialogue was just, it was, it was so cheesy. It was great. Like the Undertaker, I'm like not taking away. Like he played this role of like the, of like the, the the big hero in the action film. Oh yeah. This was exactly what this was. This was a fight scene. That's what this was. Yes. Like you can't, you can't even grade this as, as any kind of like wrestling match. You're, you're grading like a scene, like the culminating scene of a big movie. Um, with with complete with like a cinematic soundtrack behind it there was there were like sound effects yeah like this thing was scored dude like this is um uh, unlike pretty much any any match the undertaker has done undertaker's going after him come on come on alan undertaker ends up fighting with him by the hearse and he puts his arm through the window slices his arm and dude he just damn and no sells it. This this had to be the Goldberg spot when he put his arm through that limo. Like this, th- th- that can't be a coincidence because that was such a famous. Un- for those unfamiliar with the story on Nitro, is that they had a limo and Goldberg was scheduled to punch his arm through the window that they wanted to gimmick, and Goldberg allegedly did not want the glass to be gimmicked. 
it would hurt him. His character. It had to be real. So the dude put his arm through fucking real glass, sliced up his arm. It's an it's amazing he kept the arm, and he was out for six months as a result. Mm-hmm. No, it could, so, could have been a reference. Undertaker is just beating the hell out of him. They fight on top of the hearse, and Undertaker's telling him never to speak about my wife. It's all Undertaker until Styles throws the dirt in his face. I was I was ready for for uh, maybe some Jay Z here. Dirt off, yes, yes. I you, get need, you, you needed some AJ, like uh, a score for AJ here too for his for his heat spots. Kicks him low, and then they fight, and Styles lands in the grave. And it's looking pretty dire for Allen. This was when I realized that, like, this was supposed to be a buried alive match with buried alive rules. Like, it wasn't just a graveyard match. Where, this, this was to the death. Well, specifically, it ends when you pour dirt onto somebody inside a grave. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't think they wanted to be uh, advertising any of these stipulations ahead of time. Yeah. Yet the match itself was perfectly fine. Anderson and Gallows appear, and all of a sudden, Mark's attention has been diverted, and he approaches Gallows and Anderson, and there's like this big uh, structure behind them that lights up, and all these hidden druids come out, prompting Evil Uno to tweet, that's not us. (laughs) So, Undertaker is willing to take on all of these druids, but he he is outnumbered. As Gallows and Anderson beat him down, and they stop him from using a shovel, he ends up fighting off Gallows and Anderson when Styles returns and breaks a, gra- a gravestone over top of the Undertaker. And Styles breaks his finger. He yells and calls Undertaker a broken down bitch, and uses the shovel to send the Undertaker into the grave. While he's unconscious, it's looking like the end way. The Undertaker is about to die at the end of WrestleMania as the the man that's going to get a WrestleMania payoff, John Deere, is going to end the Undertaker at WrestleMania. AJ gets into this this goddamn tractor and he's got the he's about to shovel all of the dirt on top of the Undertaker when all of a sudden. The Undertaker is behind AJ Styles. So now this, this was this is the spot I thought instantly. I thought this was the Kane spot, and then it was Undertaker. So what did he transform here into the Dead Man, or was this just a teleport? I thought he just teleported. Oh, okay. Because why wasn't he fighting with powers before? Because I, I felt this was like an actual change because he used powers here, and then later he did the thing with the flames. He he. He created fire the way he used to as part of like the ministry and everything else. Well, maybe he's got like a limited amount that he can draw upon and it does great damage to him and he has to use it judiciously. And this was the time. I mean, I'm about to be buried alive. Like this is the time to use up my, my health meter. Mm-hmm. So he appears from behind. Like this is, this was a roller coaster. Okay. There was like, there were highs to this. There was like, oh my God, what is going on moments? Like there, everything in between. And then the music cranks here. Undertaker is, dude, he's he's playing fucking Clint Eastwood here. Styles knows he's fucked. And they go up onto the roof. 
He fights off. Gallows and Anderson are back. Gallows is tossed off the roof. Anderson takes a tombstone. They're dead. They're gone. We'll never see them again. Styles is then sent off the roof with a tombstone. You still want to talk? You still want to talk? Hey, what's my wife's name? And he asks AJ, how old am I now? Huh? We're just getting started. And AJ apologizes. He is fucked. He said... He said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Undertaker says, don't do that. You f- go out like a man. And he's begging him, please don't bury me. He said, you gave me a hell of a fight. And he hugs AJ. And then he turns his back. But then he turns around. Halluva kick. We know how deadly it is. And we got to see it here. The most protected move on this show. And in goes AJ to the, cr- to the grave. And Undertaker gets into the tractor. And he unloads the dirt. He buries AJ, and then we see the gravestone that reads AJ Styles. Fucking dead. And then they cut his hand is through the dirt, putting up the five. That's the amount of stars he gave this. And Taker rides off into the into the darkness to Metallica. Holy Christ, dude. There were probably fans that had a cigarette after this thing. I don't know what I watched here. But oh, was- we, we all certainly needed a break. Um I can tell you I did not expect this for a main event of a WrestleMania. Um, but I'm really I, glad. There's we, a part of me that will believe that when all is said and done, Vince McMahon will look at this as one of his finest achievements. Whether you liked it or not, I feel this was the ultimate Vince McMahon WrestleMania main event. I bet you possibly. he fucking loved this. Well, it really begs the, you know, the question why they, he never managed to achieve this with Matt Hardy when he had the option, when he even attempted to. Um, I, th- I thought this was certainly better than the, uh, what is it, the ultimate deletion that they tried to do in the WWE. It did not get to the level of, I would say, mm, complete off-the-wall ridiculousness, like, you know, with the, the, the lake of uh, reinvention or whatever that I think you, would, you saw in, in the best, like, final deletion types of videos. But for a WWE-level match with The Undertaker, somebody who, uh, you know, hasn't really been taken part in, in things like this before, um, I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I thought it completely reinvigorates The Undertaker for another set of WrestleMania matches you could do. I think you can do this once a year. And the next time they promote, like, the heel that gets out of line and wants to call The Undertaker's number... I think that people will be like, shit's on, and it's going to be something Boneyard. absolutely insane. Like, yeah. they, I know people, there will be people that hated this, but this ultimately worked. This totally worked, and it's the only way I would say to use The Undertaker at this point where he is playing like the, like the old, uh, kind of how they used like Bullet Bob Armstrong as like the commissioner in Smoky Mountain, where the, the heel gets out of line, and then the old veteran comes out. To kick someone's ass. And that's going to be The Undertaker's role as long as he can physically uh, do this uh, to, to this level where you can hide a lot of his limitations in this kind of a setting that ultimately like this came across like very physical, even though I'm sure it was it was very much protected in in terms of the comparison to a real match. And dude, he had a phenomenal opponent here. Pardon the pun. I didn't even mean that in, in AJ to just yeah. play like the asshole you wanted to see get beat and. And I think also by the end of this, like AJ has to disappear for a long time and then come back with like a real like dark side to him after this, like to sell like every, the effects. 
everybody might be disappearing for quite a long time. After might this. be, yes. Who knows? But you know, the game with the Undertaker for the past like six, seven years has been how can we hide this man's weaknesses so that we can continue to use his name to promote for WrestleMania in order to get these big matches that people really want to see. And that's been, you know, certainly, uh, I would say at its worst, like terrible disasters where he's been completely exposed and at best passable matches. But with a setting like this, like he could be 70 and he could still play the undertaker. You know, with the with the benefit of like camera cuts, as long as he can look the way he looks, as long as he can like, you know, uh, on, on a fifth take, get somebody up high enough for a choke slam, you could do a match like this. The character is really the strongest point of the whole package at this point, and this is a style of wrestling that I think we're getting to accept right now that solely relies on just character. I mean, people who have, who have issue with a match, I can understand maybe wanting a more sports-like presentation for something like this. But we're also talking about a zombie, you know? Um, It's the character that people will give that leeway to. And to your point, I don't know if this would have been as accepted even two years ago in a WWE setting. I think that it's it's certainly been uh, more reflection of the audience and their taste. And and really a necessity of this point in time. Because the alternative would have been another empty arena match that would have absolutely sucked. And I would also say you cannot overdo this either. I think this is mm-hmm. once a year absolute tops. Yes, I agree. I mean, as like, long as you have the creativity, I would say. Yeah, that's it too. Like you can't just rely on this as just some like redoing this. You have to be very creative and you definitely like I would not I would not want to see this multiple times a year or anything like that. But once a year, if it's mania, I think this was successful in the sense people will be excited to see another one of these with the undertaker in this role, uh, vanquishing the, the heel of choice, um, as well. So I, I I can see both sides of it though, of people that loved it or hated it on my poll, 2,480 votes, 87% loved it. So at least in the, in that sense, I think like the majority, um, they were entertained by this dude. They licensed Metallica for this thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, your thoughts on night one. I I definitely saw a sense of people, at least on my timeline, that it almost was it was almost like taboo to shit on this show, that no one was to say anything too negative about this show. That I think that probably played into some people maybe over uh praising certain elements. I thought this is a show that I can't lie. I was very entertained by this boneyard match. As ridiculous I, I, as it I was, I actually feel, feel the opposite, John. I feel like there there are people who probably are afraid of giving it too much credit because I think we're hmm. we're all ready to dislike this show. And certainly, I had lowered expectations going into this, knowing the quality of the Raw and SmackDown prior. Mine but, were extremely low. Yeah. So, but like you know, to see the match quality and to see like you know the number of I think events that I I was able to take away from this as a truly entertaining experience. I, I I actually give this show a thumbs up, and that that is it, moral moral questions aside. I still contend that I don't think these shows should be happening. If you're putting these people's lives, like you're putting you you are, let's remember everybody. These shows are are being conducted with a great deal of risk attached to the performers and everybody that's there. But if you're going to do it anyway, I'm and if I'm judging this strictly on on like a weird like entertainment level, I was entertained. 
Yeah, I think it all comes down to what you wanted out of this show because it's so hard to even compare this to another show. I think you look at all the circumstances this show had to work with that others don't have going against it. So I think in that sense, uh, maybe you do uh, value more things. Did did I think that anything tonight was like, um, you know, this phenomenal match that we're going to be talking about at the end of the year? I I didn't think tonight produced anything close. The main event, I think we will, actually. We we will be. um, I, I... it's almost in its own category, though. Like it mm-hmm. seems to be like that. The show be is a- the show is in its own category. This whole month of wrestling, it's kind of in its. Own That's category. it. It's very hard to compare to any other kind of a normal show as well. I would say, like, if you tuned into this, I think that there were parts that, like, the early portion of this show, it was kind of wearing on me. Even like, if the wrestling was fine, just the environment of it. So I was glad they got out of it for that that last one. That they did Goldberg and Strowman much shorter. I enjoyed Owens and Rollins quite a bit. Um, you know, the women's match was better than I, I Baszler and Baszler and Lynch. I like that match for mm. even how short it was. It was shorter than I thought. But on this show, that's maybe not the, the worst idea as well. I, I, You know, someday I would love to know maybe what role editing might have played into the quality of these matches. You know, obviously not just the main event, but like everything else here. If like things were watched and rewatched and tightened and tightened up until you had like a really good quality match. I wonder, I wonder how much of that took place. Uh, if it could have been none, or it could have been very minimal. It's a, it's another thing. Like we've never had to review a taped WWE pay per view. That 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 are so, those are some advantages this show had. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way you could have done this Undertaker thing in, in any kind of live setting. Um, mm-hmm. and and would this have worked if we had for people in the stadium to watch that for 20 minutes? Uh, would that work? No, it certainly wouldn't work at the end of the night. And you know, people watching at home may may love it. But that would be a killer inside the arena. Yeah, I mean they they have tried it before. Um, it's it, it, it brings it's a it's definitely a different question. Another thing that absolutely helped this WrestleMania was its length. You know, by the end of, by the time we got to ten o'clock, I was like, oh man, we're already at the last match. That's an experience that I haven't had with a WrestleMania or even a WWE pay per view in quite a long time. So um, having the shows, I I'm actually uh, absolutely in support of. So we get to some phone calls. Yeah, let's uh, let's open up the phone lines, and if you want to uh, dial in, you can uh, call Post Wrestling on Skype, and we'll we'll take your calls that way. Uh, you can also phone in. Uh, uh, no phones right now. No phones. Skype only. Skype. So contact Post Wrestling on Skype, and we will be taking your calls. We also have the feedback thread that is open. So why don't we start there? Yeah, out of uh, uh, WrestleMania thirty six night one from the Post Wrestling forum, you guys out of ten voted this show. A 6.4. All right. Let us start off with Will from Toronto. I went in with moderate expectations, and I won't complain overall, aside from Braun winning, because I am not a fan of him personally or professionally. The Boneyard match felt like a movie and made The Undertaker look fantastic, and I enjoyed Owens and Seth as well as the latter match. Also loved the 10 p.m. finish. 7 out of 10. The 7 p.m. finish alone, I think, gives it a point or two out of 10. The 10 p.m. finish, yeah. Let's go to our first phone call, and we have Michael on the line. Michael, if you wouldn't mind unmuting yourself, we will welcome you onto the show. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't notice that. Uh, it's okay. Uh, just so everybody knows, if you're going to get on, I'm going to mute you first so you don't bleed through the, the feed. So you just have to unmute yourself when it's time for me to tell you to. So you did absolutely nothing wrong. What's on your mind, Michael? What did you think of WrestleMania? I enjoyed it. Like, more than I thought it'd be. When I started watching it, I thought it was a bit depressing at first. Like, okay, it's WrestleMania in an empty arena. But the guys really tried their best. So I 
I guess it is more praise than normal WWE pay-per-view. But I must say, I really did enjoy that Boneyard match. That was uh, that was quite something. Do you, do you think it is something that could work uh, in the future? And and what elements specifically did did you like about the the Boneyard match that they uh, relied upon? It's interesting because what I liked about it is probably the exact reason why it wouldn't work. Like I think you mentioned before that if this was shown at an actual WrestleMania, like with seventy thousand people, it no one like it probably would be get trashed on to be honest with you like you're staring at a screen it's like why are we staring why are we watching a movie at a wrestlemania so i think it can only work in this situation at this particular time to be quite honest i think if you did it in an arena i think the audience would be more receptive to it where you have more of an intimate environment to watch it on the titantron but at a wrestlemania i think that'd be extremely tough to do so uh, like that's the other thing you weigh like to me you do this for The Undertaker, WrestleMania is the time to do it. Um, and we're going to see. Like, this is obviously they're going to look at what what's the reception to this and how uh, people, you know, if it's received well, I think they will try it again. But it to me is a presentation of The Undertaker that is the most successful formula at this time. More receptive to it, where you have more of an intimate. All right. Uh, John Cena, I believe you're on the air. Hello, John. Can you hear us? Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Is this John? Yes, it's me. What's up, guys? Hey, John Tino. How you doing, man? Nice to Good, man. You. Um, so going into the show, I mean, obviously I'm a little bummed. I'm supposed to be in Tampa right now watching the show. Uh, we actually did a live watch along with the Up Next guys. It was about 50 of us in the room, and it made the experience so much better, especially the Boneyard match, just to hear everybody's reaction. And it's like we're watching a movie together. It was, it was really a good experience. I could see somebody maybe watching it alone and not really getting the same type of experience. But I think, you know, being around people and just kind of having that that memories of watching along with people just definitely made it better. Um, quick question. I know John said he does, doesn't think it would work you know, more than once a year, but what do you think of them doing a, a same type of style with the Firefly Funhouse tomorrow, but maybe like not so horror themed, but maybe more like psychedelic Bray Wyatt style? John? I think that tomorrow night, you can't just do a carbon copy of this. It's going to be compared instantly to this that I think largely was met with positivity. I think tomorrow has to be somewhat different. Um, and, and that's a challenge to do, come back the, the next night and, and do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what they do. Uh, it's in theory, you know, the same people producing this are producing what we're going to see tomorrow night. I just hope it's different enough because if it's too similar, um, it's just going to come across to me as a lesser version of, of tonight. Yeah, I think a good like comparison, I don't know if you guys saw Spider-Man Far From Home, but you know how Mysterio kind of started doing mind tricks with Peter Parker, was seeing a whole bunch of different visions and whatnot? They might be able to pull the same thing with uh, Bray Wyatt and John Cena. You could do anything right now, like with this type of, you know, pre-taped setting. And that to me is like part of the, uh, my I would say heightened expectations for a match like that. And I think if we see a straight up match like we kind of saw with the House of Horrors, I would be very disappointed. So... Yeah, uh, it certainly changes the game a little bit for what we expect out of professional wrestling right now. Thank you so much for the call, John. All right, let's go to a couple more callers. Uh, we only have one phone line, so uh, please call in if you don't get through right away. Uh, caller, I believe you're on the air. Can you hear us? Hey, John Way. It's Rich from Winnipeg, or E. Selkirk calling. Rich. How's it? Hey. Eh, it's not bad over here. Kind of snowy and fortunate. All right, what did you think about the show tonight? 
Overall, like I said, I had low expectations for tonight, but actually it over-delivered for me. I thought the Boneyard match, The more, like I said, the more I think about that match, the more I actually love that match now. Uh, and I think Firefly Funhouse tomorrow night's going to be, I agree, it has to be a lot different than what you saw from earlier in order to actually pull that off. Uh, I just thought the the only thing that kind of ticked me off a little bit was that uh, Owens and uh, Rollins match where, you know, you stop, you know, you have the DQ finish, where it just should, probably should have just been a no DQ finish, uh, match to start for uh, from the very beginning. But otherwise, like I said, it was an over-delivery night tonight. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, you know, um, a general sentiment. I think people are coming into that, you know, it was not a high expectation level most had going into this first night. And that, you know, transfers to night two, where I think there are higher expectations for the second night and even more so uh, after tonight in terms of what they pull off. And let's remember, I... I would be pretty stunned if Cena and Bray Wyatt would close the show tomorrow night. So it would be people having to follow whatever they have in store. Yeah, pretty well. The the, the one I'm really looking forward to tomorrow night is the Edge Orton match, and then uh, the Drew match. And especially after watching the Chronicle tonight, I had that on after uh, Mania. I was just watching that one. That was a really, really, really good show. And like you said, that should have been on Raw right at the at that first hour from earlier this week. Thank you so much for the call, Rich. Oh, to go, go watch. Rob, have, stay safe, guys. Thanks. Have a great night. All right. Uh, caller that's on the line right now, please unmute your mic, and uh, you are on the air. What's up? Uh, hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. we can. Um, I just wanted to say I've been um, uh, listening to your work since 2012, and you guys have been a constant in my life ever since. Unfortunately. I don't have a whole lot that's original to say about um, this year's WrestleMania, but that Boneyard match was fantastic, and it was something that gave me a lot of laughter in times like these. And I'm someone who genuinely believes that pro wrestling needs to have that tongue-in-cheek element to it and something that makes you laugh. Mm. As way um, correctly said, I think this gives The Undertaker a new lease on life, and I think um, another act in his um, much-fabled career. Also, we know AJ Styles phenomenal. I don't know if he's in the Observer Hall of Fame yet, but it's a great career. Do you think this could potentially go down as his most memorable work yet? <laughs> uh, what I, an I interesting proposition, actually. Listen, I think it showed... Um, I, I think that you would be remiss not to give a lot of the credit here. Like AJ was like really great in the lead-up to this as well, and I think he was a great opponent for The Undertaker. I mean, when Taker's doing his programs, I mean, I think that that is an endorsement right there that AJ was the opponent this year. And I, I think he really played this role. I thought he was great tonight in this match, just playing the the heel that you just want to see get his, get his from The Undertaker. And The Undertaker just playing that that old-school, badass character that I think people can, can get into is a very simple story to tell tonight. Uh, AJ is in the Observer Hall of Fame. Um, I, I don't know if this will be um, his most memorable performance, but I think it's certainly... Um, I think it's it's quite the uh, proclamation that here he is, a guy that when he came into WWE, I think we all had our questions of how he would navigate this system. And I think you have to look at it as what what a home run this guy has had in WWE. Um, so just uh, one last thing. I know it's probably a bit derivative after all the nostalgia we had tonight in that Boneyard match. But is there any chance we see John Cena come out to the Doctor of Thugonomics theme um, theme music tomorrow and just whip the fiend? I feel like, you know, I'd pop for that. 
I don't I don't see it happening. It doesn't really fit the story. I mean, they did it last year. I, I think we're just going to get um, serious uh, John Cena. Thanks for taking my call. Um, pleasure Thank always. you. Thank you so much. Did you see the promo way that they that they took down that WWE took down of Cena's? The Cena one I did see. I mean, and I don't know why they did, because I thought it was very much a similar promo to like the one he cut on SmackDown last night. I mean, part of it was, you know, he was calling him. He's he's not the fiend. He's just Husky Harris wearing a mask. And then they reshot it and did a much uh, a much more subdued promo uh, with Cena. But it was uh, yeah, just noteworthy that WWE took it down and didn't want that that promo out, even though it did get posted momentarily. Clearly, Cena in his mind sort of has a way he wants to tell the story. And it's it's a bit more kind of scathing and reality based And WWE kind of wants to tell theirs. But and, the, and yeah. the story needs to be like John Cena doesn't believe this guy is is uh, a threat. He's not at his level. And like 100 percent Bray needs to win this match and prove that Cena overestimated or underestimated. Mm-hmm. Caller, uh, you are on the air. What did you think of WrestleMania? Am I on the air? MJ. MJ. Hey, what up, guys? Hey, man. Um, Lots been said about the Boneyard match. Uh, I think it'll go down as one of the most important pieces of wrestling content ever produced because we live in a day and age where everyone's trying to figure out how to break through with different content. We saw Matt Hardy do it a few years ago. We just saw another character that people are invested in do it. And I, I think that's an important distinction that it might not have been a match, but content. Are you surprised, MJ, that like you know something like this has been met with uh, thus far? I would say pretty unanimous praise. Not at all. And uh, I made this point with up next guys. We've as wrestling fans been forced to watch something very different, but yet over the last couple of weeks, what they've been giving us has not been different. Um, mm-hmm. That is to say, they're doing similar matches that they would always do. And John, I know you love the Raw. Um, the go-home Raw, it, it was different. The promos were different. Tonight, we saw a lot of matches that were, again, more of the same, probably what you would have seen at a normal WrestleMania. But then we saw something different, and I think people just exploded for it, um, particularly the audience that probably was tuning in tonight. Um, go ahead, John. What do you think in regards to how often you, you can do stuff like this? Because I think this has to be extremely limited. I think you can get away with the certain with the right character. They have the Undertaker. Let's see what they do with Bray tomorrow because I have high hopes for that now that you can do something very different. Um, but you have to have the right character. I tend to disagree with what you were saying about would this work in a stadium? And if the Undertaker's WrestleMania match is going to be a cinematic experience, like you guys go to the Marvel movies. Uh, it's part of the experience watching it in a crowd. And I feel like if an audience knew an 80,000 crowd knew that they were going to sit down for 25 minutes in a five or six hour show and watch something, it would be so different and potentially really fun to like, we popped at so many spots tonight because we were watching it in the group chat. And I feel like that could be a very communal wrestling experience at a very communal wrestling weekend. How many WrestleManias have you been to? Have you ever sat through a seven hour WrestleMania? One. I went to WrestleMania last year. It was my first and only. I was planning on going to my first like travel one this year where it wasn't in my city. And I remember last year, like if you would have given me a 25-minute break, um, yeah, I probably would have taken it as something different just because after a while, match after match. Um, I, I, I yeah. can't imagine uh, a crowd being engaged for 25 minutes for this, watching this on a screen. If you knew it was the only time you were going to get The Undertaker every year, 
I I'd want to like watch this might... at home. I'd want to watch this this way. I wouldn't want to watch it in a stadium. I, I think it could be broken up into a number of segments, perhaps throughout sure. the evening, as a way to break it up. And I think, you know, I, I actually uh, don't disagree with you, MJ. I feel like if it is promoted enough as an attraction, world premiere of the Undertaker's next, you know, crazy match, uh, Boneyard match, uh, will take place at WrestleMania. You could promote anything and build enough anticipation, and it's, I think people will, will want to see it. It's the only time you're going to get the Taker every year. So, like, the promotion is right there. You could do it with Sting next year. You could do it in the future with different guys as they're cycling out of their careers. I, I think it's... Um, but, John, I would rather watch WrestleMania from home anyway every year. So, to to your point, like, I just don't want to be in that stadium for seven hours. I did want to say something about Braun real quick. Sure. It is inexcusable that they just did a title switch for one of their biggest titles in the company with less than 24-hour notice that a new competitor was in the match. There's a chance that somebody tonight watching WrestleMania did not see Fox's SmackDown and therefore did not even know Braun Strowman was in the match and yet he won the title tonight. You knew for a week and a half you had multiple shows and your digital platforms and ESPN that was willing to put this out for you. And you did not do a single thing to promote Braun Strowman in a match where, look, I understand they might have backed themselves in a corner with the title change and Goldberg doesn't want to work anymore. You had an opportunity to at least make us care that Braun was in the match, not roll our eyes last night. Um, that was a hot take, and I'm going to sign off on that one, guys. Thanks as always, MJ. Thank we you, MJ. Talk to you soon. I mean, it's one of the things where I think, yeah, it's like we can look at this like they – they took no measures to correct that advertising when they knew that match was not going to be delivered upon. But I mean, they, it's just the way they go about it. And what's the consequence in the end? It's like, they, like they just operate at that level that this is this weird hybrid between um, it's, it's like a TV show and we can, you know, that wasn't part of our story. That was real life and real life isn't going to interrupt our story, even though we had no story to be to to even pay off on Friday either. But to me, when you're so heavily promoting this on pay-per-view on top of it as well, knowing that there is a match you are not going to deliver that's being advertised on Raw in the rundown. I mean, at the very least, I'm omitting that match from my match rundown. But I don't know if there's enough people like me who see it as that big of a deal that don't really care. Um, But I, I do. I think that it's something that you be you be honest with your consumer. Hansi, you're on the line. Please uh, unmute yourself. What's Hansi, going on, guys? What did you think about WrestleMania tonight? Um, I, yo, honestly, I I didn't know what to expect, but I thought the element that really added to the matches was the shit talking. Like I really laughed so hard during the um, Taker match. And the Brian and Sami Zayn match, like I, you know what I mean. I just thought that was a good element. I thought I thought the matches delivered. I with, with the Braun Strowman thing. I know people on Twitter, and maybe I got into the Twitter hive mind, but instead of Braun Strowman, I mean, I would have thought maybe you could have done something surprising and maybe done Biggie, and maybe. But I mean, then like with Biggie's first moment, would you want it in an empty arena? Because the thing is, Braun Strowman is just—he doesn't do it for me anymore. I thought in 2017, when the iron was hot, he should have got a rain, and you could have just got it out of the way then. But like now, I don't know. Like you know, what I mean, they haven't really given me much reason to care and all that. You know what I mean? So I—I I just thought maybe someone else should have been in the match instead of Strowman. But overall, I enjoyed it. I thought the Taker and AJ match was, um, you know, amazing for what they did, and it wasn't like too, like you know, super. You know, it wasn't like too, like. 
like you know out there with like the broken universe kind of stuff it, they still made it seem semi realistic except for the him getting out of the the grave whatever but i enjoyed it i just thought aj should have won but uh i'm i'm i, I enjoyed it overall and uh, guys uh I've enjoyed your content over this last month. It's really, uh, you know, got me out of like a depression a little bit from what I've been dealing with. So I, I want to salute you guys, and uh, I'll probably talk to you tomorrow for night two, I guess. Well, we look forward to hearing from you, and I hope you're doing okay, Hansi. Peace out. Thanks um, a lot, Hansi, as always. Yeah, it was. Um, that was kind of an underrated part of that. That presentation was like the the dialogue back and forth with Undertaker and AJ. Like it really did feel like some '90s action movie with you know Steven Seagal or something being played by the Undertaker. I, I mean, the fact that I think you're going to probably see a lot more empty arena matches for quite a bit suggests that people are learning to make use of their dialogue for their matches. We saw it in several examples of it today, um, and I have to imagine. Like, it's it, it kind of opens up, like, you know, uh, new ways to, to be able to tell stories in the future if people wanted to do it. I believe we have special guests right now to go to on the feed. Up next, are you guys there? And if you are, please unmute your microphone. Just within Skype itself, as they are looking for the button to unmute. <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. Wow. What, 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 state, what, what state are you two in at this point? We're good. We, we, we're like, we're buzzing off of that Boneyard match. To be honest, David is really upset. He cannot find his, he found his AJ Styles t-shirt, but he cannot find his AJ Styles gloves. And I say gloves as plural because you own two different pairs of AJ yeah, Styles two. gloves. <laughs> the one that was sticking out of the grave tonight that we watched. <laughs> Wow. What an eventful night. WrestleMania 36, night one. Wow. What, where, was you, where, where was your kind of, I'll start with you, Davey, your expectations going into this? I, I feel like you were kind of, kind of more up for this than, I, I think that there was a lowered expectation going in. But in terms of uh, both of you, your expectation levels. I, I really want, obviously I had tickets to the event. I was really excited of going and hanging out with everyone and, and, seeing once the card got released i actually got really excited about seeing this live because i thought it sounded like a great show and therefore i've been trying to like keep optimistic i haven't been too excited but i didn't want to go into it like oh it's going to be shit or this is shit because it if you're in a negative frame you like you're not going to enjoy it so i think both of us came in trying to enjoy it tonight and you know what this was way better than I thought it was going to be. My expectations were very low in this weird time where everyone's just kind of depressed and sad at home, where it's like wrestling without a crowd. It's weird. And I think we got into the Becky Shayna match where I was like, okay, I actually really like this match. It ended way quicker than I thought. Then we had the ladder match, which I was like, okay, these guys are doing some cool stuff. We had the Kevin Owens jumping off the, the plank, walking the plank essentially, which was really cool. And I was like, okay, like tonight has been really fun. But then, the main event of this boneyard match was just—I—I I don't know what I was in for. To be, uh, honest. you messaged you messaged me twice during this match. John, so, please read. John, the, please read. Okay. What I did you. The first text came at nine forty-five p.m. in the midst of this whole thing. John, this is lit. <laughs> nine fifty-nine p.m. Moments removed. That was lit. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. Like it. 
I shouldn't have liked this. We just did many shows talking about how we've been, because we're stuck in quarantine, as many people are in our homes, we've gone back and watching like five-star matches with Kenta Kabashi and, and all these people. And then I'm watching AJ Styles and Undertaker in a cemetery in Florida. I, I'm putting it out there right now. Our best match ever show, best WrestleMania closes. Oh. Scrap that. Oh, Delete it. My. Don't listen to it because it was this match right here. Wow. I should have. I My my room in my house in the BDE, the Brain Davis State, is full of horror movie posters. I've got Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare, everything. You name it. Bella Lugosi is above my bed. But I don't like when things cross over with my wrestling. I, I really don't like it. But for some reason... It's the Undertaker. It's the Goth Bay. It's the leader of the Goth people. It's the guy. Like non wrestling fans know who the Undertaker is. So for him to fight another dude in a cemetery with John Deere tractors and fireballs, what the? F- I don't even know what I just watched, but absolutely loved it. I should hate this, but I loved it. It was fantastic. Five stars. <laughs> Goth Bay is is not a nickname I would have. Goth Bay. Oh, oh, Undertaker. oh no, 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 no. The 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 lady wrestling fans in the room right now are listening. Are like, yeah, Undertaker is totally Goth Bay. He and for goth. people people who are only listening to this, uh, Braden and Davey are clearly they are dressed up in full pro wrestling gear, drinking White Claws. So it's we got that, hey, that's that Jack Daniels. We also have a figure of the Undertaker from his WrestleMania 14 entrance, which is considered the, the best entrance. The ever. best entrance. In- Second to tonight, yeah, where he came out on a fucking motorcycle, and AJ's like, "Do I hear a motorcycle?" No, um, you hear Metallica, AJ. <laughs> we, yeah, we we pulled out all the stops. I'm waiting for the person that uh, watches our show from Thursday and tonight, and we'll do a Photoshop or compare photos of Thursday where that bottle of Jack was full. <laughs> now it's empty. It's because I watched. It's because I watched The Undertaker with Stone Cold on his podcast that was filmed with video, and they're just doing shots yeah. of Jack. So I figured in this quarantine, I better get ready for WrestleMania. And what what other match than a boneyard match would suffice? Having some Jack Daniels, or better yet, a Lemmy. I didn't hear any Motorhead, but Metallica would be okay if I'm drinking a Lemmy tonight. So it's okay. Uh, I I really had low expectations for tonight. This Boneyard thing is something wrestling fans, if a wrestling fan joins in in 10 years and is like, what did I miss when I wasn't a fan? Someone will be like, well, you kind of got to watch this. I've, I don't That's- know. Sorry, I was going to say, I don't know if you guys have seen Grapple yet on this match. It's, I have not, please. It's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. The first one I read was 0.25. The second one was 5. It's, it's so this divisive. whole month of like Grapple ratings, you really have to... like. It'll be a really interesting study for Gareth, because between yeah. this and, and the Goshi Ozaki match... I, I imagine a wide range for all. I, I couldn't not watch two guys stare at each other for 30 minutes in an hour match. Half of an hour match is two guys staring at each other. I think that's absurd. I did not enjoy that one bit. However, tonight, two dudes wrestling in a previously recorded, probably edited, heavily edited. Yeah, but probably, you, know, this, you, you think that was live? live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're still digging AJ out right now. But you know, well, like we, we wanted more time on it. When yeah. it finished, we were like, "Oh, no, I, I thought it was perfect." They they, they left you, uh, I, I think, it, at the right point. Like that was twenty minutes, I think. Like, it I thought it merged on too long. Actually, should not wrestle until next year in California when he comes back. And like, that's the biggest match anyone. I'll pay all the money. Are you kidding me? Book my flight now. There's probably not even flights I can book at this point. But like, realistically, in all of wrestling, the dude is buried alive with his glove sticking out in a. In a famous, like, WrestleMania asterisk, essentially. This is WrestleMania asterisk. And 
AJ Styles was buried alive. However, one day they're going to do a rematch, and that's going to be the biggest draw, I think, ever. Uh, like I well, said, I should well, hate it. If you were to do that, do you want to see this style of presentation again, or would you want to see the actual match now with Undertaker and AJ? Uh, no, I, I do the actual match, and yeah. if like it's not going to happen, but if you could hold AJ off for a whole year... That's his big return entrance. Wow. Imagine. So AJ and The Undertaker. Floating down an, like an angel. In an actual match. And, yeah. then, and then The Undertaker somehow. Because The Undertaker cannot take a Styles Clash. Mm. You see what some people, how some people take the Styles Clash. The Undertaker can't do it. So The Undertaker is going to hit the Faith Breaker on AJ Styles in the match. We're already beating. talking about next year's match. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know what I watched tonight, but somehow I really enjoyed it. So hats off to whoever was. It looks like it has Jeremy Borash's pause kind of over. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, shout out to all of them. This this shouldn't work, but this is going to be the most talked about thing in wrestling for years. I think, was, they, I, I, I think they I don't think they should put it out this week. I think on Monday they should announce that they will. It will be the broadcast premiere of yeah. this the following Monday on Raw. And for then sure. after after you broadcast it on Raw. You put this online because this thing, like these clips, like this will be all over. Like this is going to be the the viral following of WrestleMania 100%. is this all the different moments of this. I think they should be very strategic in like laying this out and maximizing it because this is going to be the match that it's perfect that you have people that are going to love it and hate it. But it's it's like strong opinions either way. And I think that's really great for conversation of a match and how it's going to uh, transfer to people that it will certainly uh, to me, get in front of a lot of eyes that would never have watched WrestleMania to begin with. Well, The Undertaker told AJ Styles, as he's told many wrestlers, try me, I'll make you famous. And AJ Styles is now famous, YouTube sensation, in probably about a week from now. <laughs> Braden and Davey, you guys are doing live streams, and you're also going to do your own post-show tomorrow? Oh, man, from we did a live stream tonight. Davey was a whiz on uh, OBS tonight. And created a, a huge, fun live stream event for WrestleMania. And that's what made it a lot of fun. I know there's no one in a crowd. I guess it's fair to say we had a bigger crowd attendance than WrestleMania. We did. We did it. Uh, so at some point, we had like plus 50 people in the room, which is crazy huge for us. So uh, tomorrow night or whenever you're listening to this, WrestleMania Part 2, we're probably going to do the same thing. So come hang out with us and watch WrestleMania. I know it won't be as insane as this Boneyard because – we're taking. We've already tried to clip our reactions from that. It's it. Oh boy. Hey, wait. I'm I'm watching your feed right now, and and this was the best we've done OBS. But I I want Look this live guys. chat thing on the side. Waiting the whiz. It's, yeah. It once all this coronavirus thing is over, we need to sit down, and you just I'll pay you. You give me a few <laughs> lessons on OBS on Photoshop. You know, you share. Why don't you share? You share Kyrie saying over here, and then I'll 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 be happy to help out. Well, wait, you want the cutout of Kyrie Zane? <laughs> no Never deal. Mind. No deal. Cut it off. Shut the, shut the <laughs> is, that, is that the true casualty tonight was Kyrie Zane's entrance at Raymond James Stadium? I know. She was not into it. You could yeah, tell something she, was off. She seemed checked is out. Is she out? Is she leaving? Is she going back to uh, stardom or something? Because she was not. We, we all, for years now, since they advertised WrestleMania Pirate Ship, uh, Kyrie saying in the background here of our BDE brain Davy estate, we love Kyrie. And we, we always said that if she were to wrestle at this event, she would come out on a pirate ship. It would make the most sense tonight. She did come out as a pirate, but she kind of looked like she didn't want to be there. Yeah. She seemed checked out for sure. She, yeah, maybe she's done with this thing. I don't well, guys, know. Uh, we are going to uh, say farewell. Uh, Brayden, <laughs> I hope you're, I hope your morning's okay. 
We'll let you know on the update of our the Jack Daniels bottle in about an hour. All right. Well, guys, uh, live stream tomorrow night for you guys, and uh, thank you. Enjoy, enjoy night two tomorrow. Thank you. Take care, guys. Rest in See peace, you guys. All right. The up next crew, everybody. Man, <laughs> a oh, ball great. of energy. Oh yeah, guys. That, that's that's it. A ball oh. of energy. Uh, do uh, we want to go back to feedback or calls? What do you want let to me, do? Let me take one one more call. This person's been trying to call in for uh, a little bit, so I want to get to this particular person. Uh, caller, you're on the air. What did you think of WrestleMania? Hello, call. Oh, caller, you are can muted. You hear me? Yes. Can you now hear me? we can hear you. Yes. Hey, uh, this is Jackie from Orlando. I, I haven't called in before. First Hi, time for everything. That's it. All of uh, just uh, please uh, mute mute us in the background if you don't mind, Jackie. Or uh, like mute mute your speaker is what I meant. Yeah, there we go. Uh, how do I? Oh, you just muted yourself. <laughs> okay. You basically just have to. Um... <laughs> this is terrible. Tur- turn off the window that ha- is playing us. <laughs> we're gonna get through this. We're gonna we're gonna sort this out. We gotta hear from Jackie now. At this point, we've been yeah, through too uh, much. Uh, rookie mistakes here. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay, let, let's just beat this one. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, Jackie. We tried. You can have to. You got to write. Write your thoughts. Write your thoughts in. Um, <laughs> mute your speakers, everybody. Turn off the window. Oh my god! Is this somebody? Hi. Okay. Okay. Are you still there? I'm here. Okay. I think we're gonna. That's it for calls. Unfortunately, everybody today. So the feedback thread in the forum, forum.proswrestling.com. Okay, we have, we have a lot here. So let's, uh, I'm going to skim through some of these here. JD writes, was this a WrestleMania? Nah. Was it pretty fun for what it was? Yeah. Given the circumstances, I honestly had a good time with this, and it felt quick, zippy, and stripped away a lot of the nonsense that we usually get with WWE. Way, was this a zippiest WrestleMania? I guess time-wise, it felt zippy. I think that's what it means. Like, the pace. Yeah, I mean, compared to recent years, to compete against, like, an eight-hour, seven-hour WrestleMania, yes, this was a zippiest. He says of the Boneyard match, that's my kind of wrestling goofiness. This might have been some of the funniest B-movie shit I've ever seen. All the way to AJ's sticking the glove out of the dirt. These have been some pretty terrible times, but honestly, this made me laugh more than anything in weeks, and sometimes that's just what you need. Uh, we got a Gerard who says, this was a very strange show to watch. I'm not sure I could even call it good, but it definitely wasn't bad. My two main thoughts. One, Goldberg should have won. Two, Taker versus Styles will be divisive, I think, but I will say it was better than the other recent divisive match of Kazuyuki Fujita versus Goshi Ozaki. Are we in the era, John, of like, batshit crazy matches? Like, is DDT basically taken over? I think there's there's a much more willingness to accept it and also, at the same time, there isn't – like, let's, let's say people hated this, okay? For instance, like, what is the detriment it would have to WWE? It's not like we can look at things like they bring this back and it dies on pay-per-view. It's like none of these metrics that we would previously – like, back in the territory days, you would build up to a stipulation match. And if that stipulation didn't draw, well, you're probably not going to go back to that stipulation match. You could see right there what worked, what didn't. Based on the gate and here it's like if you want to defend this you can if you want to slam it you can do that as well um you know typically it's like you look at 
what is its impact on business? I don't think this will be really be either. Um, I don't th- see this being like a giant positive, a giant negative. But was I entertained? I was. And I think that that's that there's more of an open mindedness towards this than even a, a year or two ago where this might have been a tougher fit to see an Undertaker character. But I'm surprised tonight that it's been as positive. Like maybe tomorrow we're going to see a lot more negativity, but have not seen that so far. Yeah, I think you're also talking about an audience that's just starved for something else than, you know, an empty arena match, which I think everybody got their fill of after the first week. Um, it's just really hard to do empty arena matches. And I think this is the time where people appreciate risk being taken because we know the alternative is just kind of boring and not that good right now. So um, I'm I'm actually personally really excited to see what other kind of creative match types r- r- people will come up with uh, to, to work with limitations. Are you, are you optimistic about the Cena Bray Wyatt match because even after watching this tonight, I, I am, I, I'm in the middle. I, I, I'm not. I don't have high hopes for it, but it's. I, I think it's tough. They have. They certainly have a higher bar to meet because this could have been really hokey tonight. Some would say it was hokey, but I think largely it's. Um, it's. It's going to be the natural comparison. I'm certainly more optimistic about it now than I was even before. We go to Brian from New York. Um, okay. To come up with something like the Boneyard match on the fly in the environment we're in now is a degree of difficulty I'll give them more than a bit of credit for. And also wonder if Jeremy Borash had his fingerprints on it. I mean, the guy has branded himself. I mean, that's quite the compliment that people would. So many are thinking of Jeremy Borash here, which, um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to know what the making of, of this match is. We this go is to, the day of I want, the, the making of this this match. You, you know, I wonder if you'll get it. We're going to Doof Daddy, who says, As odd as the show was, I got to give props to the wrestlers for busting ass. I had high hopes for Mania after Rumble, but obviously the pandemic slowed down that momentum. It almost seemed like some of the finishes were iffy just so they can get the proper crowd reaction for a real audience. But then again, it's WWE, so who knows? The Boneyard match was damn good for what it was. I expected it to be crap, but it worked. Defin- decently excited for another odd night of wrestling tomorrow. Nick from Lansing, he says, uh, the show exceeded a lot of my expectations. I thought we'd have good matches, but I was glad to see so many people make the most out of the unfortunate circumstances. Sammy and Brian put on a fun show with all their friends playing interference and loved the creativity of the finish to the ladder match. Owens and Seth slowly becoming the all-out no-rules brawl was my match of the night, and maybe that sent on by Owens live will live on forever uh, as a gif. I appreciated the creativity of the AJ Taker match, but I'll ask what everyone is asking. Is AJ dead like dead in that universe well no clearly he he he's he's still alive he will rise from the ashes but i think he has to disappear for a while yeah ben says i agree with all the criticism they should have called it off and postponed it and the build-up has been terrible but how many wrestlemanias have i finished with a smile on my face everything from the ladder match onwards i really enjoyed and had no right to be that good if all the Undertaker's matches can be that way, he's got a lot more matches in him. I don't know if we'll say a lot of matches left in him, but I think you can get a handful. So, you know, I'm really curious to know what sort of lessons WWE might be learning because it, it, a lot of the positivity has come from obviously the main event, but I would say the length for a lot of people was one of the main benefits of this show. Does WWE learn from that for next year, whether or not they have two nights? My knee-jerk reaction is no. But I, I think they would be way more open to doing two nights next year, but I'm not expecting four hours per night. I think it's just going to be longer nights, but two of them. 
That's my concern. And then it it does shift your your events around, like TakeOver, Hall of Fame. But those are all things you can work around. Ultimately, can they draw two s- solid gates? Like, let's look. Last year, WrestleMania did somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's just throw out the number. I don't know the exact figure. $18 million they did last year, which is high because that's in the, uh, in the New Jersey, New York market. But let's say $18 million. You're not going to do that on either one night. But if you can do two gates that are... 11 to 12 million. I mean, that's, that might be kind of the math you're looking at. I the, think that the, tr- the I think the, the Sunday night show would be the big one, but I think they would do very healthy in a stadium for a, a second night. The trade-off might be, you know, a, a non-full arena either night. Uh, and obviously that's kind of up to, up to them to, you know, because they love to promote their sellouts. Like as we saw with Wrestle Kingdom this year, first night, did really well, looked really full. Second night was a lot more empty, and what they want to risk one of the nights feeling an empty, you know, setting. Yeah, I think I think it's it's certainly a risk to do two nights, and if you don't have the right attraction um, ahead of time, like this year, I like there, I I wouldn't have seen this being broken up into two nights naturally, and this mm-hmm. like tonight's show that we just watched. I could not see this being supported by a stadium-sized crowd. Yes. Jeremy in Texas. I might be in the minority, but I actually thought it was a solid show. I don't think you are in the minority, Jeremy. The atmosphere is what makes WrestleMania, and the show clearly did not have that. What it did have is a group of hardworking pros who, for the most part, put on solid matches for a show that was only three hours long. This show will be remembered for that Boneyard match, with that, which I loved because it was different and something you could never put on with a live crowd. I really hope none of these performers and behind-the-scenes people end up getting infected for taking part in the marathon tapings that were done. Alrighty. Uh so Jermaine says, Jermaine from Chicago, good first half of the show tonight. Wrestlers worked hard and were really creative. Goldberg has a name, but should never be in the title picture again, no matter how much you want Roman cheered. Get over it and move on to find a new guy. He says, with Becky keep beating all the heels, who's left? Would you keep bringing up NXT women to face her? Honestly, watching what they've been doing, um, I- I'm... I would say if the plan is to get the title on Shayna Baszler, I I don't know if if like prolonging it is the is the best move for her given that character. The big one to me now is Rhea Ripley for for Becky. Like that's I hope the they don't that, get to that for quite a while. I mean, the temptation I'm I'm sure is always there to like match Rhea, your NXT champion, with with anybody anybody else. But to me, these are long plays, and as we've seen with Shayna, the danger comes when once you get through that that match, then what? You know? Well, that's it. I mean, she's run through everybody at this point, and I don't think anyone – like, they're on the same brand, but I don't think anyone's clamoring for Becky Charlotte yet. Um, there's always uh, – Becky has, in the back pocket, Nia Jax as well. Right. Like, that would be the one. They never got to do that program with the two of them. They have that history. That's a good program. And ultimately, whenever Ronda comes back, that's a natural rematch too. So those are those are some options for uh, Becky. Uh, we don't know – Time time frame with Ronda, but that could be you know something. If we're looking to Mania for next year, that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Is no. it you or me? Uh, I'll go. We go to Kenny, who says, "I really enjoyed WrestleMania tonight. The show flew by, and I was entertained throughout. The women's tag was great. The ladders match had some crazy spots, and Rollins versus Owens was just what it needed to be. But let's th- get to the point here. The Boneyard match was awesome. 
It had absolutely the, low, the lowest of hopes, and they surpassed my wildest dreams. I might be alone here, but I thought it was not only the match of the night, but probably The Undertaker's best match in years. Andrew from Cape Breton. I had a few beers tonight in the BDE chat room, and that was a good time. The show was okay. The only real good matches besides the main event were Zayn and Brian and the ladder match, but the main event was the big highlight. The fact that AJ Styles, TNA mainstay, main evented a mania is something that should be shouted out, but I thought the match was great. It wasn't as unrealistic or ridiculous as the final deletion or the House of Horrors, and I thought it was the perfect match for a show like this. The match could never have been done on a normal mania, and I'm glad WWE and likely Jeremy Borash were able to put something like that together. It was the best Undertaker match in years, and he has had a reputation of embarrassing himself recently. Six out of ten. You know, I'd feel really bad if it was somebody other than Jeremy Borash, and Jeremy Borash is just getting all this credit. Oh, I, ho- I hope they shine a light on the people that, that – and it, was, it wouldn't have been just Jeremy Borash. It would have been yes. a whole team of people, and I hope that they get that attention because this is something that was a big risk. The performers had to buy in on it, and these people putting it together had to sell these guys on this. Like The Undertaker is someone that has taken risks with his character, but I would say like I, I, I don't know what the pitch would have been like if he just would have immediately thumbs up this or if it would have taken uh, some convincing that – do I really want to go this route knowing the Matt Hardy template and that that's not the Undertaker's character being Matt Hardy, which on paper this could sound like. We got a Biff who says, I'm glad the tradition of WrestleMania got to continue even in this strange format. Looking forward to night two. This took my mind off of the COVID crisis. Finally, New York City is just nuts right now and any distraction is very welcome. Well, thank you, Biff. Uh, Joe, uh, we go now to James. This was a super easy watch, and the Boneyard match was so fun. I've only been watching wrestling for six or seven years, so I have no nostalgic feelings towards The Undertaker. Every year I've watched him wrestle. It's just an old man that can't keep up, but this was an Undertaker I'll remember for the rest of my life so fondly. Creating new fans wow. in 2020. Alrighty, let's finish off here from Joseph, Joey from Geelong, who says... I must be one of the few who absolutely hated the Boneyard Grave match. I was with friends who are now Labs fans of wrestling, and they pretty much laughed at me for still following this shit still. I sat down with pretty much my hands in my face for 20 minutes. The way I see it is that this is meant to be the biggest event of the year, and you have the most eyeballs on this product. There's no way casuals are going to watch wrestling next week. I think us hardcores want something out of the box to get us excited, but if you guys did a review of this 15 years in the future, you would bury it. Just like how you bury a lot of things from the Attitude Era. I thought most of the show, I liked most of the show until the main event. Sorry for the lengthy post, but I was just frustrated with the main event. Uh, well, thank you for telling us how to think. I, I always like when people do that. I have no problem if someone hated this match. I'm glad that we got someone that was negative towards this match because I think that that's a side of the argument that uh, will be thrown out there. And I'm sure we'll see more of it in, in the next, I mean, we're we're two hours removed from the show ending. But uh, at least from our listeners, it's been fairly positive. Um, I think it's all in within the context of which you watch this. I think if you were to take something ridiculous like uh, Hulk Hogan and Big Show on top of Kobo Hall, I think that would be met with a lot of positivity now that you watch it with today's eyes with. Um, you can only reflect with the, the time of which you're viewing this and whether something is viewed positively or negatively. I would say for this um, – I think in the moment, I think it worked for people. Um, in time, maybe people will look back and completely laugh laugh about this. I mean, it, 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 it was like the camp value was a part of this. This was not just a completely serious presentation by any stretch of the imagination. Like it was kind of weaving that line of over the top with a guy seeking revenge 
uh, in The Undertaker as well and kind of uh, navigating that. And it had elements of both. It is the right type of match for, I think, the time. Um, you know, how it will age, I think we don't really know. But for this point in time, I think it absolutely worked. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for your feedback. I'm sorry if we couldn't get to you. Uh, we're, we had to randomly skip some some people just because we had so There's much of here. it. Uh, and we had so many phone calls a- as well. So thank you, everybody, for interacting. Please uh, try to call back or leave your feedback for tomorrow as well. And as well, just share your thoughts in general in the feedback thread for people to read. I, wa- I wanted to also thank uh, everybody who's joining us in the chat room right now. Just we had up to like 200 people. Uh, patrons just watching this right now. Um, tomorrow, John and I will be back for our live stream, but we will be making an exclusive for Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons. Pay-per-view posters are usually a, an exclusive perk for p- patrons of that particular tier, but tonight we wanted to make it available for all of the patrons. So if you like us enough and want to join us again for our live post show tomorrow, uh, consider signing up for the Double Double Ice Cap or Espresso tiers. And just quickly, uh, if you didn't hear the lineup for Night 2, it will feature... Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre, Edge Randy Orton, John Cena, and Bray Wyatt. Interesting that tonight, I don't know if this means anything, but instead of a Firefly Funhouse match, it's now being promoted as a Funhouse match. No, I have no idea what that means. I have zero idea what that means, but I just noted it tonight that they called it a Funhouse match. Street Profits against Angel Garza and Austin Theory, Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair, five-way elimination match for the SmackDown women's title, Otis versus Dolph Ziggler, Aleister Black versus Bobby Lashley, and the kickoff show at 6 p.m. will feature Lib Morgan versus Natalia. So that's night two, and I would say if you were to look at the lineups objectively um, 24 hours before, I think this would have been, night two would have been with the big two matches that it would Mm -hmm. have. So I think night one... On paper, I think would have had a lot less interest, but it seems that those that watched it tonight enjoyed the creativity of the end, and I think the length, that played a big factor. If that had been stretched into five-plus hours, I I think you would have had that drag. Um, So there are a lot of lessons to be learned. It'll be interesting to see whenever things uh, change, like what lessons are taken, like the emphasis of promos. I saw Edge do uh, an interview that Andrew Thompson uh, transcribed today in the update that, you know, it's the promos hands on has been Edge and Orton like they are given that leeway to go out there and Edge. It's uh, I'm actually going to pull up the quote here because it's very interesting Uh, in this interview. uh, It's with Inside the Ropes. He mentioned when he speared Elias at SummerSlam, he had not been cleared and it was just a spontaneous spot that he ended up doing in the ring. But his advice thing, right? Yeah, that's it. And I think that that, you know, that got everybody discussing after after SummerSlam. So he talked about um, just being, you know, the acting that he has done. And he said that he now has this full arsenal that I didn't necessarily have before. And again, nine years of reps on television and movie sets has been indispensable. And I Mm. get, get asked if it's for advice. Now, what I say is once you're trained, this being for wrestlers, get acting classes. Just plain and simple because it's glaring who can and who can't. Mm, mm, great advice. Yes. So you can uh, read that interview. Uh, Andrew Thompson did a great job transcribing that up at postwrestling.com. And that's going to bring things to a close. So we'll be back on Sunday night. Store.postwrestling.com. Again, everybody, we have our exclusive T-shirt uh, celebrating WrestleMania weekend that we will be putting on sale and donating all the proceeds from to both the Sunnybrook Foundation and uh, the New York Community Trust in their fight against COVID-19. So uh, 
do purchase one of those if you want to help a great cause. Yes, fantastic stuff. Store.postwrestling.com to go check that out. That's it for us. Thank you for tuning in for night one of our WrestleMania coverage. We'll speak with you in 24 hours.